Oh, I got his ass now. You have to be fast in the track. I hate that guy. This race could change the rest of your life. My bottle got stretched a little bit. I'm about to light this shit up. How about it, T? How about it? God, what an intro. Did you like it? Dude, I was listening so intently and excited to hear that. I, it was, I, I liked it. I was I'm pretty excited for that. I put some time in the past couple days. Nothing crazy. But, you know, a little different, a little updated. So, uh, yeah. No, I, dude, I think it sounds awesome. And we need to celebrate the, uh, the parties we've had with some of the awesome people we've had. And I think we could even get some more. But, yeah, man, it sounds awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll get some more. Um, yeah, things are a little different this time. I'm in studio, so I'm going to start things off. Uh, show number 62 here with uh, Robert DeWild. Um, big show today. Big show. Really excited for it. Um, Tori's on the road right now. Does it feel weird that you're the one on the road and I'm the one with the like in studio? I, it does, but it's kind of nice. It's a little bit of a change. I feel like you have a little <laughs> like little off your shoulders, and I got a little more on mine right now. I know, I know. How's it? Uh, how's it feel to be in studio? Isn't it kind of weird, like being with all the stuff just by yourself? You're just balancing. You're just a balancing circus act with all the different devices. Seriously, I got literally, I got everything around me right now. Like, and the music was going when I, when we started the intro. The music was going. I got the whole soundboard here. I was getting like really hyped. Like my blood's like flowing right now. <laughs> yeah, I was just driving, jamming a nickel back in the car. Just like head bobbing the whole fucking time. It's awesome. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. Um, so we'll start the show. We just want to uh, just start off the show with giving our condolences to Brooke and her family. Um, got news on the uh, the old social media there that uh, her dad passed away. So we just want to uh, send our thoughts and prayers to her and her family and wish them all the best right now and wish we'd give them a big hug. Yeah, absolutely. I was just on Instagram and all of a sudden I saw the news and I read her post and saw the photo. And I was just so heartbroken about the whole thing. It's just, I can't even say anything because it's just so sad. And um, just really feel for Brooke and her whole family right now. And um, hope her dad's at peace and doing well up there. And um, yeah, like I said, just it was really heartbroken to, to hear the news. Really sad. And, you know, it's uh, amazing to see, you know, BMX is like a huge family. I know we say it all the time, and but it's so true. Like the BMX family is incredible. It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone just supports everyone. And it's so outstanding to see the support for Brooke and her family right now. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So, yeah. I hope she's doing well. And, um, yeah, we're thinking of all of you. We certainly are. Yeah, we certainly are. Um, down to the next thing, we do want to give our sponsors our, of the show a little shout-out here. we got ProGate Europe on board. Winning starts with a great gate. Tori, how's the, uh, how's the gate coaching going out there in, in Toronto? Dude, I was speaking, speaking of which, even uh, Chad Reed. Have you seen the photo of Chad Reed at Rock Hill with his family? Oh, I did. How awesome was that? Dude, even the 22 knows ProGate is literally the only gate out there. He knows. He knows. It's, it's the one Dude, and only no, gate. He's like, he's like, you know what? It's pro gate Europe. All right, we're good. I got this. <laughs> the best gate in the game. You got to get it. Seriously. Literally the only gate out there. Literally the only one I think they make. It's, it's impossible to have a different one. So let me tell you about my last few days. Hold so, on. Hold on. Well, we do got it. Well, I was going to say, let's just get motosheets.com. 
after oh, yeah, sorry, too. Yeah, we got yeah, we got go two ahead. sponsors on board for this show. So we got motorsheets.com. You know motorsheets.com, they got all your timing and scoring needs. I was out at the track today laying down some heater times with uh, with Tugas there. And uh, you know, if anybody the tracks you got races, you got timers you want, you know, hit motorsheets.com. They'll get you sorted. Yeah, right. they will. Yeah. All right, T. So let me tell you, let me tell you about my last few days. So we go from doing nothing these last few months, right? Yep. Until all of a sudden, so go to Victoria BMX on the island um, this past weekend. Stayed with Sid and Danny Martinez. Awesome family. Really cool people. Thanks so much for having me. Had a great time with their family this weekend and coaching this weekend. Awesome. It was really nice to, yeah, it was nice to be back working and coaching and whatnot. And then I would, I will say I was a bit nervous because obviously we're in a pandemic and, you know, we got to socially distance and everything, but all the kids and stuff were really good. We made sure we always stayed apart while um, we're on the track and uh, like talking and everything. We only used three of the lanes, so everything was good. Uh, big thanks to Victoria BMX for having me. So, awesome. went over Friday. Yeah. Yeah, went over Friday. They stayed Saturday, Sunday, came back Sunday night, got home late Sunday night, then flew out <laughs> Monday, then had to like unpack, quickly repack Monday morning. And flew to Ontario, um, flew to Toronto, I should say. Yeah. And while I was on the flight, had to study, had to study accounting and microeconomics because I got, I got a <laughs> midterm, got a midterm tomorrow. So tomorrow, what day is it? Tuesday. Yeah. Yep, I got Tuesday. a midterm Wednesday, an accounting midterm Wednesday, microeconomics midterm Thursday, and I got a group project due Friday that I'm still like, coordinating with the group with. But, <laughs> I had to write all my training programs and stuff on the ferry on the way home on Sunday and send them all Sunday night for the next two weeks. So I get there, then I drive 45 minutes to Stouffville last night. Mm -hmm. I'm staying with Brendan Arnold. I'm staying with Brendan Arnold for, for the week here. Okay. And then got up at 6.20 this morning after all that. <laughs> and I had to drive an hour and 45 minutes to Falls BMX and then just, which is at Niagara Falls. Okay. And uh, Very cool, by the way. Just did all two, yeah, two day, or a, uh, Two session clinic today at Falls BMX. Big thanks to Jason and the whole crew. They're awesome. Um, so yeah, I did the did the uh, camp today, and I'm driving two hours back to Stouffville, and then I'm coaching at Stouffville the next couple of days. Um, and we're doing the podcast in the car, so I am just fully fucking revved right now. Like kid is full throttle. We went from having a casual, laid back golf trip to uh, the kids back in business doing camps, flying across the country, just full <laughs> oh, on. Yeah. yeah. And the whole time we were at the golf trip, I was really relaxed and enjoying myself. But in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, better enjoy these days. Because when I'm getting home, it is just fucking it. You just <laughs> like, know, shit's going to hit the fan. <laughs> I was a little concerned because I knew I wasn't doing homework for a few days. And I had so much homework piling up. Oh, and boy. I was going to be traveling so much. But I'm going to get it all in. I'm going to get it all in. So how many more camps you got there? Because you, you said you got to do all those projects and tests. And then you, do you have camps this week, too? Yeah, so we're going to have to study at my accounting stuff tonight, probably, and probably some economic stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I, I coach tomorrow from 9 to 4. And then uh, got to do my accounting exam tomorrow. And the next day, we're going 9 to 3, because at 3.30, I got to do my microeconomics exam. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Seriously, though. Yeah. Just fully revved right now. But That's I just I got so efficient with my time. Yeah, no, you got to. You got to. And see, we're making it work. You got the podcast in the car right now. We're making it work, baby. I know. And I also wanted to give a public service announcement because track, <laughs> operator, track okay. operators, 
you know, I didn't really think I realized while I was racing, like you always know how hard track operators work or whatever. Mm-hmm. But dude, since since I've done these camps the last couple of years and like I've, you know, obviously dealt with them more and been around them a lot more, dude, they are the backbone of our sport. Without them, the sport wouldn't exist. Because they're at the track prepping it, getting it ready, mm-hmm. making sure everyone's signed up, you know, every week for like no reward. Like they're the, some of the hardest working energetic awesome people out there without them our sport wouldn't even exist no. so if you're a track operator out there you know what you're killing it thanks so much thank you guys we need that you're right you're honestly you're 100 right you, you yeah. we, we've seen firsthand like obviously we don't see as much around home because we obviously ride on different times on the local tracks or riding yeah exactly. but we, we've seen yeah. tyler and chula and like he works his ass off he's got two tracks now he's got to work his ass off for all these other tracks that are keeping these places running for all the kids to be training at every week they're all volunteers at least up here they are right so it is awesome you're good good call i know yeah i uh i feel kind of tired after explaining my my week <laughs> <laughs> i mean honestly honestly that was a lot to explain <laughs> i know but it's all gonna be worth it because friday me and brendy are gonna go play some golf oh baby just- I'm going to be done all my stuff yep. and just be able to enjoy the round of golf. Thank God. You know what? You're going to you're gonna earn that round. You are going to earn I that know. round. That's going to be sick. It's going to feel so good at the end of the week to just play a round of golf with Randy and chill out. Speaking of that, how, let's talk about the golf trip a little bit. We, t- we, we, you know, we spoke about it a shit ton before we went, so we got to give people an update. The golf trip was a huge freaking success. Dude, huge success. We, played some, we played some fucking golf that trip. The kids? Like, like I'm talking... Yeah, we played some good golf that trip. Oh, yeah. The kids were grinding. I'm telling you, like, it didn't matter, like, if we were having a bad day. We, we played five rounds in three days. So we were bound to have a couple ba- bad rounds. And, like, even those rounds, we were grinding for our team because we were playing team matches the entire trip. So even though it might have been an individual match that round, it was worth it for the team score. We were grinding. Yeah, I got to say, it was pretty exhausting because we got up there Saturday, played two rounds Sunday. Yeah, two rounds Sunday, which was okay. We didn't have to get up that early. Mm-hmm. We got teed off like 8.30 on Sunday, so kind of early, but not bad. But then after playing two <laughs> rounds Sunday, we played two rounds Monday, and Monday we played at 7, and it was an hour away, so we had to get up at like 5. <laughs> that was insane. <laughs> I know. But yeah. we played some, man, we played some cool golf courses, like through the mountains and beautiful, beautiful forests. It was really cool. Yeah, Camelips is seriously one low-key. I don't know if it's low-key, but it's an amazing place to go play some golf, that's for sure. I know it's probably one of those uh, pretty well kept secrets, eh? Because a lot of people go elsewhere to play golf, but Camelops is beautiful to play golf. Yeah, honestly, three hour drive away from Vancouver, you have tons of golf courses, really scenic ones too. So we're gonna we're yeah, gonna make another trip. Uh, so for sure, it's desert too. So you're like we had a little bit of rain, but you're pretty much guaranteed good weather. Yeah, you're bound to get some yeah good weather at some point. Um, yeah, Tori and Travis, uh, unfortunately, I hate to say it. They took the cake. They won. They beat me and Josh. We had some close rounds. We had some close rounds, but they took the, the weekend Dempster's Bagels Cup. <laughs> yeah, we, we called it the Dempster's Bagels Cup because James loves bagels. I love bagels. Um, <laughs> our huge prize. We won a white spot burger on the way home. <laughs> huge so prize. Like, we're so fucking competitive. We can play for nothing, and we're just still grinding like it's a World Cup. You put a single coffee on the line. If I make oh a double bogey on a hole, I'm pissed. I, like I am not like I'm not leaving there happy. <laughs> and the last day, me and you were playing a match the last day in singles, and we were pretty sloppy and tired, but we were just grinding. Oh my god, did we 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 absolutely grinded through that? Because you're right, we were tired. the The hardest course on the trip 
and with the hardest conditions, I'd say too, with all the wind that was happening. Yeah. And we it's were just duking it out back and forth. Yes, yeah, top 50 hardest courses in North America. So just picture that. I Insane. mean, James were just grinding, and James ended up pulling out a clutch victory over me. Pull out by like yeah, one one hole had the one shot, but didn't matter. It didn't matter. It came down to the team no. one. I got I got my win over Tori. I can't say it was from all my daily nine putting because I left all my putts short on the trip. So uh, you know. Yeah, yeah got- but we had some we had some good matches. It was fun. And the cool thing about golf, so for instance, Josh, our friend's a professional golfer, mm-hmm. excellent golfer. But like for instance, me and him had a match, and in golf you just gave each other shots. So he gave me. I don't know what he gave me, eight or ten, like, I think maybe ten shots, I ended up beating him. But mm-hmm. that's the cool thing about golf, is you give people shots, so I can have a match against Josh, who's much better than me. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's what's good about the handicap system, and, like, yeah, you can play golf with anybody, and if you want to have a match, there's always a way to have a fair match. Yeah, exactly. So that so. was a rounding, rounding success. Yeah, big success. Um, oh, here's here's what I got. I got a Tory roast on here, T. I got a rant. Oh, boy. I got a T rant. Oh, boy. Did you, oh baby, give it to me. <laughs> did you listen to the last show? Uh, no. That, uh, like re-listen to it, you mean? Yeah, like re-listen to any of it? No, I haven't re-listened to it. No, why? That's good because the audio is absolutely trash. <laughs> was it seriously? Well, remember? Okay, I remember when I looked at the board. You're like, it's the same as it was. Okay, all the things were pushed to the top, so the sound was very loud. So we heard a lot of things, but. You were still on the settings, I think, that I was on, and I was on the settings that you were on when we did this back in the day, back when we were actually both in studio. So I was quiet again, and you were loud. And it's like, Terry, we got a mixer, baby. We need to use the mixer. You wanted to change it. It had been the same setup for months, and, and then you wanted to change Remember, you changed the output things. I, yeah, just, I was trying to. I, I didn't change it. You said it's the same. Leave it. I never changed it because. Yes, you did. And then you said, no, we're going to switch to one and two. It was in three and four outputs. You just had to change it, didn't you? Because. Hold on. Hold on. I'm, I'm, we're continuing this. Hold on. Hold on. All right. I'm back. What are we holding? I, I, had a, I have a cough. I have to take a drink of water. I can't continue this roast you, if I'm coughing. Because. You just had. Because had to change it. we had it on a setting for one and two, so you can set it because Tori has a louder voice than I do, and I'm always quieter. So we had it set so that it was always the lower voice, so we'd be more equal. So then when we did the show, he's, oh my gosh, I got this tickle in my throat. Anyways, so then we had it, whatever. I, I don't think I switched it back. If I did, I switched it to whatever you said was what we always used. And then the mixer things, all the things, the levels were at the top. So we're never actually using the mixer if the levels, the little sound things are all at the top. We need them in the middle. All I know is you wanted to, I don't remember which ones you changed it to, but you changed it. it that doesn't you matter. Know, it doesn't matter which I switch mic, it to. You still see. My mic was you, here. Go ahead. Yeah, you, go ahead. Even, if the, even if I switch it, you can still see on the soundboard where the levels of each of us are going to. So, like, I have you really high on the board because you're in the car, and it doesn't pick up as much as the microphone, obviously. So, I could, you know, I could be, like, talking myself into a hole because if we get to someone comes back and listens to this show and says, you're really quiet, it's on me. But I'm saying, I, I can see the levels. So, you should see the levels and say, okay, somebody's too quiet. We need to turn this up. That's why we got this mixer. I probably saw the levels, and it was probably fine. And then, I don't, I don't know. I didn't really watch, probably. Yeah. Because I assumed it was just probably the same. It's just kind of one of those things. Yeah. So, that was my roast. All right, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> first, 
first day back in studio together, and the whole thing goes belly up. <laughs> well, I listened to I listened to it back because then I had I had all you know how they, we have the SIM card, the save, whatever the um, what is it, a little hard drive thingy. I went to take all the podcasts off, so I listened to it quickly. We had like an hour and a half. It took me an hour and a half to transfer all the podcasts onto my my little hard drive. We've done a lot of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we, we've we've done a ton. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. Okay. So here's a funny little tidbit I had to throw in here. So last show I talked about how we were at uh, Ridge Meadows, Drew and myself, and um, we saw some other people riding there, which was really awesome to see. Um, and we made the joke that when we go to the track, oftentimes people don't actually. They don't actually know who we are when we're riding there because we don't ride on the local practice night, so people don't always see us. Well, it turns out yeah. um, the people we were talking to, I, I can't remember their names right now. I think it was June who actually works or helps out at North Shore BMX. They know exactly who we are. So when she sent me a message after she listened to the show and realized that I was saying that, I felt like a complete idiot. <laughs> Once I knew who June was, I, I was like, wait a second. Like, okay, like I know these people from North Shore BMX. Like, I don't know them very well, and that's why... I thought that, but yeah, I felt like a complete idiot. Like, so this is an apology. Like, wow, this guy, like, wow, this guy's a dick. What, a, what an asshole. He goes on the show and acts what like a, we don't even know him. We know exactly who he is. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, that happens sometimes. It does. It does happen sometimes. We, so. meet, we meet a lot of people. We meet a lot of people. Had to give a, have to give a shout out to them because that, uh, that was a funny little tidbit there. Yeah, that's all right. Um, what else? Oh, that was pretty loud. Sorry. See, I saw that. We got some big news. So social media check-in this week. We got some big news that hit the hit the world, I guess, this morning for us. Um, I don't know if you saw it, Tori. Uh, no more world champs this year. 2019 world champs, 2020, sorry, world champs in, in Houston have been officially canceled. I mean, I don't understand how people are surprised. I, I, I feel the 100% of the same way. How are you surprised? Like, we knew this was probably like going to happen. Bunch, I know. I saw a bunch of posts like people, how are we, how is this a shock? Like global pandemic. Texas is shutting down again, I think, pretty sure. They're yeah. reclosing stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how is this a surprise? Like, no one's traveling internationally. Mm-hmm. I think this is just, I feel like it was just a formality at this point. I, I feel like it was just, we were just waiting for the official news that it was actually canceled. Like, it's weird that people are surprised and shocked and whatnot. Yeah, I guess people are probably holding out hope and obviously wanted to race the world and whatnot, which is completely understandable. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, so I read, like, obviously I've been to track all day, so I just kind of saw a bit on Instagram. Um, but, uh, I guess Papandale, the next world is Papandale after the Olympics, right? Yeah. How good is it to be Twan and Al right now? Just keep the rainbow for like... <laughs> the two-year world champs. They get it for two it's like, years. It's like track and field. It's like track and field. World champs and track and field are only every two years. Oh, really? Hey, yeah, I think you told me that. Which yeah. is kind of yeah. cool for the world champs because you're right. You get two years of wearing the rainbows. So, it's after the O show. When is it, so how long after the O show is it? It can't be very whoa, it can't be that long after because I'm trying to think. Aren't they aren't they scheduled for August in Papendal? The worlds? Do you think? I don't know, probably. I can't, do you think I, they're yeah. gonna have do you think they're gonna be as big or is it gonna be like World Cups after the O show? What do we think? Um you know what? I think it's Papendal. I think the, the scene for the amateurs is gonna be like Zolder back in 2019, like, like it's going to be huge. I think the amateur scene is going to be huge. I could see a few of the elites maybe not going, but it's the world champs. I mean, the amount of, like, no, we're BMXers. World champs, we live for that shit. There, people that have the opportunity to go aren't going to miss it. Maybe unless you, I don't know, medal at the Osho and 
you're on a high and it's really soon after, okay, maybe you don't go, but I'm sure yeah. 95, 96, 97, 98% of the people are going to go. Yeah, I agree. I mean, after Rio, I still really wanted to race and I was really motivated to train and um, do well at the last World Cup. So I think pretty much everyone's kind of like, if BMX isn't like all those other sports where it's just, oh, the Olympics is everything, now let's, you know, put it on ice for a couple of years. Like, <laughs> BMX, like, we raced national champs the week after Rio. I didn't, I, granted, I, I didn't feel like going, but once I was there, I was happy I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like BMX just want to race. So, I mean, and what a good spot to have it. I mean, I think it's, uh, I don't think it's fair that world championships are at a training center, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, we, we, um, could, we could rant but, on that shit forever. Yeah, it's a whole other topic. But that being said, like, Holland is a fantastic country for sports. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the best countries to race in. We raced the world in Rotterdam. Man, the fans and atmosphere was awesome. Yeah. Which is most places in Europe, but I feel like especially Holland and France. So, especially right after the Olympics, there's going to be so much hype, and all the Olympians are going to be just massive stars there. Everyone's going to be so excited. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. They're going to put on a show. Like, yeah. it's, it's not going to just be a race. It's going to be like Papandal always does. There's going to be more to it. There's going to probably be like festival. There's going to be stuff for everyone else to do outside of just watching the racing. And that part's going to make it an, an incredible event, I feel like. For sure. Because, you know, a lot of the, I know a lot of the kids love the, the pros and BMX and stuff. But I've noticed, um, you know, with others and uh, firsthand as well, like after you go to the Olympics and after the kids see you on TV at the Olympics, they look at you even in a different light again because. You know, they've seen you on TV at the Olympics, and that's a massive deal. So, you know, all the riders that are going to be in Tokyo next year, they're, um, I don't know how, how you say it, star power, or uh, whatever word that is, is going to go up a lot too. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how much of a difference that makes. You get on TV, and then people look at you as, like, more than you were before just probably because you, yeah. you were on TV. Yeah, it's crazy. Just yeah. at the Olympics. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's a thing. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. Yeah. But the interesting part with that I saw online too – because normally they take two spots in the male and the female from the world champs before the Olympics. So the two of the Olympic spots are from the world champs. So now, now we don't know what's going to happen with those spots. So uh, yeah. I heard, I heard so they're, I heard they're giving one to you. Yeah. I got an email this morning. I'm going to get one. Yeah. So you um, get one. So that leaves only, that so only leaves one more male spot. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going and they said cop shag is to pick the other one. So who should we pick? Um, Who's a who need who needs a send off race? Who needs a who needs a, a good retirement race? <laughs> we should get a, yeah. Sinead's come back. She's gonna race it. We should get like a, let's get like Mikey Day or like Safiso or Maris, someone from the OGO show. Oh, that you know what? I think Maris just he just earns his spot. That he just got it. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, Maris will get one. He'll be the only four time Olympian in the sport. Yeah, as long as he can get past the second jump, you know, he'll probably he'll probably win the race. Yeah, just get him past the second jump, and he's fine. <laughs> That's all he needs. Boy, as long as he's comfortable with the second jump, you know. He, boy, was he not a fan of that second jump in real. Like, a lot of people didn't like it, but Marish really didn't like it. <laughs> he really, we, got, we got word that he really didn't like it. He's like, as soon as I saw the second jump, I knew it was over. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like, done, dude, guys. what? Like, what do you mean? It's one jump. <laughs> dude, bro, what? What are you, what are you, talk, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, that's classic. Eh? Do you yeah, um, so that'll be cool. do you think it's weird that they're still planning to have a World Cup in November in Rock Hill? They're still planning on having one this November. That's what that's what it's saying. That's what I've heard. I've seen posts that saying there's still a World Cup scheduled for Rock Hill, November like sixth and seventh. 
Uh, I feel like no. that's just. I feel like it's one of those things they're just waiting to postpone. Like we're okay. realists. Like we obviously we obviously want what's best for the sport, but we're very realistic with the shit that's going on. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Okay. If it gets loud right now, it's because we're going for the storm. Okay, I'm gonna try to put you on mute for a bit, and then like if that ever happens. <laughs> okay, so um, that's all right. We gotta just run it. So, we got we gotta send it. Um. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. No, no chance. I mean, I think cases are blowing up there too, and like international travel, like you can't have people from all over the world come to the U.S. I don't think mm -hmm. it's not realistic. No, I, I so don't. I, don't I, I really don't see it happening. I, I really don't either, to be honest. And it's like, obviously, I, we don't want to sound like we're trying to say like, oh, just cancel everything. It's like, no, I want to fucking race too. But we're very realistic in the sense that you can clearly see the numbers that are hitting the U.S. with this whole pandemic and COVID and whatnot. And it's like, it doesn't seem like the safest thing to be doing that there right now. We don't have the resources to isolate ourselves and whatnot. And it's like, it's yeah, it's a big risk doing that. Yeah, we don't have the resources like pro sports do. And international travel, like, I don't even know that's going to be feasible at that point, you know? So I don't see how they're going to have a World Cup. And I think it's probably a formality until that gets canceled as well. Yeah. I saw, like, um, I think Betcher posted a little story. I, I, wouldn't, I don't know if he was frustrated or he doesn't agree with the decision of like the world champs being canceled but he was like um he was uh, his advice was like to for the juniors and elites to band together and lead a charge to, to see the world championships happen um since like the world cups are scheduled to still happen in rock hill in november um i as much as i'd like to once again say like if the world championships do happen i think it should just be juniors and elites i i don't see like i don't see that working I don't like. No, that's the thing. It would be safe for just having juniors and elites, and it mm. would be. But then you have to get a shit ton of tests, so then test everyone, which they don't really have the means for. And two, like one of the main things besides the logistic nightmare of international travel, which most people probably can't. Mm -hmm. um, no insurance actually covers COVID nineteen when you travel. So, for instance, if you were to get COVID nineteen to be hospitalized in the U.S., you'd be in debt like a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> you screwed at that point, so, honestly, yeah. That's one of the major concerns is travel insurance. Mm -hmm. And so it's not really realistic, I think. No, no I, don't, I don't think it is either. I, I think we have to get to a point where it's, for, for one thing, that's safe enough that we can go there and actually have insurance for it and whatnot. Because that's, that's one of the big things with going to the U.S. is like if you don't have proper insurance, you could get screwed at times, and we no one wants that. No, so... All those things, like, it's just, I don't think it's realistic. And I'm sure they're trying every way. I mean, everyone wants to race the World Championships, the World Cups. Hell, I really miss going to the races and doing interviews. And I, I really miss BMX and racing. So, mm -hmm. but we have to be realistic about the situation, too. Yeah. No, I, I, I really agree with that, too. So, it'll be interesting how yeah. this plays out and what they do with that. And if they'll, if they will end up canceling, postponing, who knows? Yeah. Um, side note, this storm is really gnarly, like, the freeway went from going 120 to 60, and I can barely see cars in front of me. Are you serious? Yeah, I, it's like I'm in the middle of a shitstorm right now. That is classic Ontario right there. Like, classic, like, just nice and bright blue sky, sunny, hot, to just a storm. I know, I know. But we'll, we'll continue, we'll continue. Yeah. Um, so I had something else here, quickly. I was thinking, because we're not traveling, there's not really any races going on, but tracks are starting to open up. I thought, because you know how we always say we need to bring back the time trial? 
I want to I want to talk to some of the tracks and just see if we can have a really informal night at the track where I I go and set up the timers, set up the browsers, and because I don't have I don't have Motorsheets.com timing system available right now, but uh, I set up some timers and do like some time trials with anybody who wants to come out to the track that night. That's a great idea. What a fun way to do this. Why not? Yeah, because I, I think we could still social distance pretty well. I don't know the rules at the tracks yet, so I might have to wait a little longer. But, you know, if everyone just hangs out, Threat takes a distance, and we do, like, one gate at a time, like, just let people uh, do some gates, get a time, and then they can, if there's not many people there, they can always just do more time trials to try to get your times. They'll bring some prizes even, too. Answer BMX, baby. Get yours today. Bring some prizes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Old TT Terry's gonna dust off the S2 and bring it out there. Answer BMX S squared, get yours today. Get we're yours gonna today. dust off the S squared. Wait, now we're gonna put the S squared one more in one more time trial. How about it, hey? If you if we get this set uh, up in your home, will you come? Yeah, I'll, I'll do the time trial for sure. Yeah. All right, and then I'll, I gotta see maybe we get Drew to come too. Like have like a girls category and a guys, and it's not for anybody to like have a winner, but just to you know. Try to just get a time, have some fun, have a reason to uh, try to train for the next little bit here and that kind of thing. I think it'd be really fun. We need to do it on a regular track for sure, though, to have people. Yeah, so I'm thinking we do it, like, I'll talk to the tracks, but maybe we do, uh, I would love to do it at Ridge, obviously, because, I mean, there's a lot of young kids there. We're locals there. Do it at Ridge, Surrey. I mean, who knows? We could go to Squamish and do one if they were down, but obviously i got to send a message to the tracks to see if they're interested. But uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. We'll call it the TT Coffee Chatter Challenge. There you go. See? We can start hyping it up on the chatter and everything. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, all right. That's good to hear. Um, are we doing true or false? I'm assuming you don't have true or false. I'll, I'll wing it. Let's do it. We'll, you, you we'll just roll with it. You want to wing it? Yeah. All right. Yeah. True or false? Here we go. Oh, you didn't do the... Yeah, I got an intro, baby. True or false? There we go. Intro. That's the intro. I, I, missed, I missed the other one. I deleted it. <laughs> It's on my computer. Oh. It's not on the board. <laughs> I told you I was going to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. That's all right. It sounds good. Really like you sound like a game show host now. Yeah, this is, this is our game. <laughs> that's exactly what it said. It's a game show intro. Anyways, yeah. do you want me to go first then? Yeah, go for it. All right. Uh, first, true or false. Let's start with the one with our guest here. Robert pushed me home on a road bike ride years ago when I was staying at his house. For sure, knowing Bob, for no way he actually pushed you. <laughs> he literally had to push me, and so it's, it, it, it was true. He, ha he literally has a big hill to his house, and I was flattened, like not the COVID curve. I was so flat, he had to literally go behind me with one hand and push my back so I could pedal up the hill. <laughs> well, that, that's just embarrassing. Hey, seriously, I was like, he, I don't even know what to say. Like, his endurance was incredible, and I was just absolutely blown out. <laughs> all right, now. All right, mine. Okay. Silvan Andre is actually a really nice guy. <laughs> oh, that's false. Got to yeah, be false. Yeah, yeah, it's false. He's an absolute dick. He's an absolute dick. I hate that guy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Seriously, seriously though, like I hate that. I hate that guy. Seriously. We hate that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, second one. Michael Bias has done the last straight at the Janky Supercross in New Zealand with his eyes closed. False. Yeah, that's false. But I, I think he probably could. I bet you if he tried. <laughs> you got to be a complete psychopath to, to ride blindfolded. Oh, you got to be insane to do that. That would be nuts, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. I once didn't like the sweep of my bars, so I ran them 
backwards for a session to try them out. <laughs> That's got to be false. No way you're that crazy. Yeah, it's false. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one, though. I, I could see somebody doing that. but <laughs> I almost had you saying true, didn't I? I was like, wait a second. Tori, I could see you not liking something and just being like, we need to change it. <laughs> and then trying yeah. to do something stupid. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, next one here. I got a swing coach before our golf trip to Kamloops because I, I wanted to be better for the trip. False. Yeah, it's false. <laughs> I watch you a lot. More of a back, you would have had more of a back swing <laughs> than your driver. <laughs> oh my God. Can we just take a moment and talk about like that? I don't even understand what's going on in that video. I was, I was aimed the wrong way. I was, I think I was aimed for my draw. It went dead straight. The backswing, okay, I don't really have a backswing. Backswing, I never have. That's just my Tony Finau swing. That's all I'm going to say. But there was no follow-through. Absolutely no follow-through. Unbelievable. All right, next one. Yep. Ready? Yep. When me and Connor were kids, we tried to raise money for BMX by collecting pop cans in my neighborhood. But he came and stayed with me. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, see, I feel like because you're making them up on the spot, you're just trying to make something up. But this sounds like something your mom, Margaret, would have been like, okay, guys, like, we need to raise money. Like, you guys need to work your butts off. So I'm going to say this is true. Oh, false. I just made it up. Yeah, it's creative, right? <laughs> it's pretty creative. Like, I don't know why. I could just see Margaret making you guys do that. Maybe Greg would tell you guys to do that. It's like we actually did that for hockey. Like, when I was a kid and we were on hockey, we would, uh, our teams would go uh, on bottle drive and we we collect uh, bottles from houses and raise money for practices and stuff. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. Great idea. Yeah. 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 Um, next, last one. Molly jumped the pro set at Abbey today. False. That's a really hard pro set. Really hard pro set. But she did do the third straight. Oh, wow. That's really good. Pro rhythm. So good for her. That means Drew and her have done yeah, it, I think. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Um... Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Elise likes ice cream. <laughs> would, you say, would you say Elise likes ice cream? Elise likes ice cream. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would, that's got to be true. I mean, who doesn't yeah, like ice cream? Of course, of course it's true. <laughs> First thing I thought of. Oh, classic. Hey, for, for on the spot, these ones weren't bad, though, eh? You had a couple good ones there. I'll give you that. I, was, I, I can't make that shit up on the spot, so. Yeah, it was pretty good. Drew a little plank in the last one, but I did the best I could. Yeah. All right, well, that's our true and false section. I don't. The, the thing is gonna go. There we go. Woo! Yeah. Okay. Cool. True or false? We don't need that one played any longer either. All right. Shall we? Uh, should we get Afro Bob on the line here? The Flying Dutchman. So I wrote that in there, but was that actually his nickname? I know he he was Afro Bob. Yeah. But that was was that his nickname? The flying too? The Flying Dutchman, I think, was his original, and he also had Afro Bob. And then when he shaved his head, he, I think he crashed in Norway on a recovery ride at the World Cup and, like, had fucking cut his head open and stuff. So then he shaved his head, and then everyone called, started calling him Baldy Bob. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I know. All right. Uh, giving him a call now. Let's get him on the line here. See if my iPad I forgot to say he's your coach. He is. Roadcaster Pro, yeah. He's the coach of the Palm Dog Millionaire. He is the coach of the PDM. One of the best turn guys in the game. We to talk about that. He better pick up. We told him two. He said he said two o'clock. If anyone cares, it's bright blue sky again. You're back in some classic. I, I'm telling you, that's what it's, it's classic. He's not picking up. Why? Why? Why do we got to do this? What? What is? What is this? Oh. 
Robert, Hello. Robert, you there? No. <laughs> Hold on. Sorry, can you hear him? Yeah, I can What's hear you. How's it going, buddy? How's it going, Bob? Can you hear me? I'm doing good. How are you guys yes, doing? Sir. Oh, pretty good. Pretty good, buddy. Miss you. Yeah, I miss you guys, too. Well, what are you up to right now, Rob? You, uh... I'm, I'm enjoying the sun, dude. Enjoying my coffee, sun. Well, afternoon yeah, coverage, you guys. Yep. You and, uh, you and Leo go on a road bike ride today, or what? I feel like you guys do that every day. Well, we were riding, but then he uh, decided to hurt himself a little bit, and then uh, we're not riding anymore. What did he do? Uh, he tried to ride a 20-inch bike, and he ate it. Oh. oh. He used some time pedals, didn't he? <laughs> I'm sorry? He used some time pedals and unclipped and crashed, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> JK, JK, JK. Yeah. Classic. I'll let him tell you the story. I can't tell uh, the story like he, uh, uh, the way he told me. Uh, That's pretty funny. Yeah, I bet. Buck Bob, uh, what have you been doing lately? What have I been doing? Uh, sitting at home, like you guys. Yep. Sounds uh, like So, uh, staying low. Uh, last few weeks, Bellflower VMX has been uh, starting up again. So, uh, we're trying to, you know, do that responsibly and... Uh, and uh, smoothly, so uh, yeah, it's been interesting uh, the last few weeks, but uh, for the last four months, it's been just kind of hanging out. What have they uh, what have they been doing to get you guys back on the track? Like, do you guys have to take any certain precautions or like have a limited number or anything? Uh, we started off with that to kind of just get our feet wet and see how it was going, and then uh, that went very smooth. And then we decided just to open up uh, for everybody and uh, start up with racing again. Mm -hmm. uh, so with the part we're we're uh, part of the Hollywood Sports Park, so uh, we also have to uh, follow their rules. So everybody has to wear a face mask if uh, if you're not riding a bike. Okay. Uh, and then uh, on the track, obviously, just ride around. Uh, we filled up the gate now, uh, but uh, on the starting hill, we kind of made four four lanes to kind of keep them a little bit separated. Mm -hmm. Uh, as much as we can uh, and keep the flow going at the same time and uh, in racing we uh, we have the staging area set up where we have one lane open one lane closed the next lane open one lane closed so on and so on to keep a little bit of separation that's good then that's really good yeah yep. Tammy was speaking very well very highly of you and um, all the work and help you've done at Bellflower and stuff so I thought I'd pass that along to you well thank you thank you Tammy and uh, no problem um, so are you doing your coaching stuff again? So right now, we'll, we'll just start with the, since we're on the track, are you still doing your local coaching at the tracks? Yes. I, uh, picked that up. I just, last week I did a little bit of a test run, uh, because the coaching, uh, is together with open practice a little bit. And the last thing I want to do is uh, intervene with open practice and slow things down and, uh, uh, get in the way of, uh, the customers, obviously. Uh, so I did a test run. Uh, with a big group and a small group, and uh, went pretty smooth. So uh, we're going to start picking that up uh, this week. Nice, that's good then. Yeah, I was wondering how yep. that whole worked out and stuff. So that's good you're able to do that because I mean, yeah, if you're coaching your your little group there at the track, then I'm, I mean, you can do the same thing. You don't have to be all up in their grill. You can still distance a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah we try to keep them apart. Uh, the biggest problem, the, the biggest challenge I would see was on the starting hill. 
you know, uh, a lot of people like to sit on the starting hill and just hang out <laughs> and yeah. then just like hang out for five, six minutes and like, oh, let's do a gig. So we try to avoid that. Uh, if you want to hang out, hang out, find staging and uh, do what you got to do. And then when you want to do a gig, come on up. And then when it's your turn, get on the gate. Yeah. yeah. So Bob, with all your coaching and stuff now, what do you, what's the big difference or what's the maybe difference between the generation now and when you were younger? What do you notice? Um, well, the younger generation did. I'm 43 right now. So we're talking about almost 40 years ago where younger kids are, uh, you know, so uh, I, I don't, I don't think, uh, well, the only difference maybe just social media, uh, they feel like they're distracted a little bit with social media that they need to be on the phone a lot. So, uh, with, uh, with the oldest group, uh, when you start training, they, I take all the phones, I put them aside, put them aside away so we can work for two hours. Uh, with no distractions, and then uh, when the, the training session is over, they get their phones back. So I guess that's probably the biggest change mm-hmm. compared to the kids from way back. Yeah. What do you What do you notice like on the track, like technical ability and that kind of stuff? Well, first of all, you can't really compare the track. When I started racing, dude, if you had two jumps, two rollers on the straight, <laughs> you, it was exciting. <laughs> uh, you know, flat turns. Uh, you can't compare both tracks, you know, and, and, and like every other yeah. sport, uh, every other sport, it evolves, right? And BMX is always a changing sport, so it's always new things happening. Uh, and uh, people are adapting to what whatever is put in front of them. So even, you know, I, I raced competitively for 30 years. The last year, I still learned little new things. Yeah, that's cool. I mean... Honestly, I guess yeah. I guess we should take that into account. Maybe uh, maybe the the eras are a little bit different in that sense. <laughs> oh, it was way different, but that also made it fun, right? It kept changing, and it keep you know kept it kind of refreshing. Yeah. At time, you know. So. Uh, we we did. It's not we do, like it. Go ahead. We did want to get into that as well, because like, I mean, you're one of the guys who kind of raced through, we'll say the old school era, and we'll call it the new school era. Like you raced through. Mm-hmm. It all. Um, so we'll definitely we want to ask you about that, but. So how did you end up start racing competitively? When did you get into the sport, and when did you start racing competitively or even internationally? Uh, started racing in 82 when BMX was the thing uh, back then. Everybody had a BMX bike, BMX tracks popping up left and right. Um, so I got a BMX bike when I was five, uh, when I turned five, and uh, a friend, still a good friend of mine, Henry van der Weg, uh, still... Uh, he took me to the track and uh, was just a block away, pretty much. And um, ever since, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. You know, first day I got there, I was hooked. My dad always thought I thought I was going to be a soccer player, but uh, that went out of the door when I went to the BMX track. <laughs> Is it the two classic Dutch sports? I mean, are big ones, right? Soccer and BMX now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, soccer in summer, uh, speed skating in the winter. And then- a boy. <laughs> You know, that's it. Yeah. Wendy, uh, so you obviously started racing kind of competitively, I would assume, then from a young age. Or when did you start kind of doing – Did it, what kind of series did they have back then? Because now I'm getting into unknown territory of, ter- territory of when you started. Like, what series did you have to race back then and that kind of thing? Because we weren't even on uh, our parents' radar yet. <laughs> <laughs> our parents hadn't even been at this time. <laughs> we were like maybe – we weren't even an afterthought back then. <laughs> 
You guys were swimming around still. Money, your <laughs> yeah, own we business. Were. Um, we were quite the swimmers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, how was it? It was, yeah, the, you know, the Netherlands was split up in generally four spots, the east, the west, north, south. Um, and then you had your uh, your local club events. You had the clubs, right? Uh, so uh, they organized the race every few weeks, I think. And then you could uh, race the, the, the regions, uh, so to speak. Uh, so you race that every Saturday or Sunday. And then... Uh, let me remember, you had to race um, two or three races to qualify for the national championships back then okay. uh, in your local district. Um, and if you were in the top, whatever it was, you were able to go to the national championship and race there. Um, and then over time, it just evolved. Uh, you still had the, 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 the local area races. Um, and then you had the nationals. Now it's like uh, around six nationals, um, and then the overall uh, score counted, right? You can drop one one race, mm-hmm. and that was it. So it changed quite a bit uh, through the years. When did you end up kind of taking it seriously enough that you decided that you wanted to go pro? You wanted to be a professional and kind of have that as your job. Yeah, like uh, did you know back then? Did you know back then that obviously you could make a pretty good living at it because back then i feel like there was more sponsorships in the sport too and maybe some more opportunity to make money than there is now well for european to begin with it was uh, it was a big step right uh, it was difficult to be honest there was a very few that could were able to do it uh lucky enough to be able to do it but as as an average european rider it was it was very, very tough to uh need a to even just be able to move here to get the visa uh, and get enough salary to get the pay visa so you can make a living here. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that, that what what it takes to just be able to, to to move here and just live here and the simple, you know, just make a living and pay for uh, rent, uh, insurance, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of people forget about that. Oh, they just move there, just go live there. No, that doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. You gotta have a visa. You gotta go through the process. Blah 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 blah. blah. So um, in the nineties, I was able. Uh, I was on GT Europe. Uh, was doing well in Europe, uh, and then uh, team manager was in America told well me like, was that, "I'm sorry, was that paying well at that time? Were you making a decent living on uh, GT Europe in Europe at that time, or was it way better in the US?" Uh, no, it was it was enough to uh, pay for my expenses to go to the races in in in, uh, in Europe, you know, uh, with my parents. Uh, still living with my parents, we went to all the uh, European rounds and uh, the worlds, and then uh, a few World Cups here and there, where, uh, wherever they were at, um, and that was it. Um, I was still had a daytime job too as an electrician. Oh wow! Oh, so yeah. I. Yeah, I worked 40 hours a day, a week, sorry. Um, woke up early, rolled my bike to the the, uh, the workshop, got in the van, packed up the van, went somewhere where we had to go, did work, and then got home, and then tried to do a workout afterwards. Um, so I was somewhat competitive, was able to make mains in Europe, but uh, that was it. And then uh, 
the team manager in America, well, saw the potential, I guess, in me, and he's like, you know what? Uh, you got to quit your job, and then we'll give you a salary and expenses and whatnot, and then uh, you become a professional, right? Which was a dream for me when I was young. But it never really was. It was a dream, but it was never like something I, I strived for. Um, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just enjoyed racing. Uh, I just enjoyed the competition, uh, the freedom that you have riding a BMX bike and the competition, uh, competing against other riders. And from one, uh, you know, came another and another, and it just rolled, rolled on, and I rolled on to GT Europe, and then. You know, uh, then the team agent uh, in America was like, hey, just so it just kind of fell in place. Um, then I raced my first professional year was in 99, where I had no job. I was just the only thing was BMX. Uh, won the European title, won the world title. Uh, so beginning of 2000, I was doing well again in Europe. Then the team manager here in America said, like, you know what? Next year you come to America or you're off the team. Hmm. So, and that was always a dream for me to go to America. But then when he actually put it in front of me, it was, like, it was a pretty difficult decision to make. You know, I was still living with my parents. I was still doing my own thing. And all of a sudden, you're like, you got to move across to the other side of the world. Live on your own do everything on your own and race against the best in the world. So it was uh, a harder decision to make than I uh, ever thought, but it was the best decision I ever made. Yeah. That must've been, uh, must've been scary at that time moving across the world. Cause like you said, it's not only is a big step in life and stuff, but the classes are deep in the U S and it's, it's, uh, it's tough to make a living. Yeah, yeah, you got hey, you got you got bills, you know, you got everything. All of a sudden, is on your plate. Before it was like, no, oh, mom and dad kind of will take care of it and all that stuff. So, <laughs> no big deal. Food is ready to go at uh, five, six o'clock, and then uh, you go back uh, outside and ride your bike a little bit more. But now it's like, oh crap! Now I gotta make sure the fridge is stocked, and I gotta make sure that the laundry is done and all that stuff. So that was all a big eye opener for me. So was so the world's in 99 that was before you moved to the u.s uh yes that was before i moved yeah. to the u.s how let's talk about that world because that was you won the world title that year you said you won i didn't realize you won europeans as well um yep how was that race because I, I watched the video i have the video on my phone and talk about a different era different track but the classic i mean you're known for being incredible in the turns and it just showed that last turn you made a sick move was that on LA too if i remember mm -hmm. Levesque, wasn't it? Or was it Allier? Oh, Levesque. No, Christophe Levesque. Okay, all right. How was that race? Because, so, I heard one of, first of all, you camped at that race, did you not? And then yes. camped at the race and then made one hell of a last turn it. move. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Just, just classic BMX. <laughs> well, don't forget, uh, that's all I knew, right? Uh, camp yeah. out at the campground or by the track. Uh, those days at every european race we stay we, we me and my parents drove me out there with the with the little camper behind the car and we parked it there and i would sleep in the tent that's all i knew for years on end so it wasn't anything different for me so it was normal for me so uh that year it was my first year as a professional and just focused on racing and european rounds went very well i was just i was riding the wave that year uh 
you guys probably have those periods as well. Uh, you know, you know, you just you feel good. Everything's flowing wide, and uh, the, the world yeah. feels the same thing. I felt good. I felt confident. Uh, you know, and I was ready to go, um, and just you know took it one lap at a time. Yeah, I mean, it's it was incredible. I mean, I don't have those good enough days that I've been able to win a world title. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's not. Um, I felt really good that 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 weekend, uh, but I had a weekend, another world where I felt where, like invincible, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But I didn't end up winning yeah. because I made one it's small so mistake. It's so weird how that works. Like some races, you'll feel invincible almost and not do well. In other races, it's just you end up doing well and you maybe weren't expecting it or you maybe didn't quite feel as good. Yeah, and and uh, and it. Now looking back at it, it's all about mindset, you know. Uh, yeah, 100%. when you you when you're really confident and you feel like everything is going really well, you often you lose focus on the basics, and then you make little bit tiny mistakes that will cost you. When things are not going as well, you start to focus on the basic. You you just do what you got to do, and then things work out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that here last, well, not last, but a long time now, it's just a lot of people like, I don't feel good. Like, you know what? Oh, it's going to be a crappy day. Instead of, you know, just hunkering down, put on the boxing gloves and just, you know, work, uh, focus on the basic and go to town and see what happens. Yeah. So I, like, I, oh, I feel like crap. I, I throw my towel in. Like, it's done. I'm out. Yeah. yeah it doesn't matter how you feel. You got to go and perform. And at the end of the day, it's, as BMXs, that's our job to go and compete no matter what. You know, it, there's a lot of pro sports that uh, compete way more than we do. Every, for instance, the NHL every two nights, like, you think they feel great every night? No, they, they just go and do it and do their best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I had races where I felt like, oh, I felt, felt fast and I'm pretty going to get smoked down the first straight. And I'm like, okay. And then other races where it was like, uh, I'm not feeling it and I'm pulling. <laughs> like, explain that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, a lot of people too, like if they're not pulling or something, throw in the towel, but you got to find ways to make it happen. You know, the best riders can make it happen if they're not feeling great or if they kicks are a bit off. You just need to find a way. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you often found. And don't get. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna, well, I was going to say, you often found those ways in the turns. And I was always, I've always been curious, like, you've known for being amazing in the turns and you showed it too. Like, where, where did that develop from? Was it just from kind of just never wanting to settle? even if you're having a bad day, or where is that from? Uh, probably a, a combination of a lot of things. Uh, remember, I started on crappy-ass tracks, uh, flat turns, uh, different dirt, all that stuff. So every track was very different and had really different personalities, I call it. Um, so I learned right away to being able to adapt to every track every different track and even the track throughout the race day changed back then the trainer turns were getting loose she's starting to get these little ruts here and there the holes uh, in the turns so before every main event i would go check out all every turn like hey where are the where are the lines at you know mm-hmm and get my get a, uh, a little picture a little mental preparation uh, picture for me and you know when I get there in the main I know exactly where I need to go um, so through the, when I started early I just taught myself to be able to adapt to whatever is uh, thrown at me 
Um, and I think that helped me develop my cornering skills and also um, because passing in a turn doesn't happen in the turn. It happens before, uh, down the straight before it, where you get in position uh, to attack or even defend. You know, uh, so I, I, I really, I guess I learned those things along the way over over time. I love that mindset. I love that approach that you're going and checking out before. Most people don't do that. No, well, you know, nowadays you don't really have to anymore because well, a lot of asshole no, turns, uh, yeah. smooth. Uh, but don't forget, it was like, there. I went to tracks where it was just straight up clay. <laughs> and, you know, in motocross, you has, yeah, I get those inside ruts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, you will get those a little bit in BMX too. You know, everybody was hitting inside, inside, inside. You get this little mini turn, you know, or you starting to get these lost soft spots. And, and uh, so, yeah, I went to check it out, see where I, where the lines were at, and where I should not be at all in the turn, and just you know, try to get prepared as well um, before a main event. What a different sport. <laughs> like, yeah, like that. Yeah, you guys I, I are complaining that. about that everything. You guys don't have and no idea how good you guys have it. <laughs> oh, there's a little loose spot right there. Then go like well, five centimeters higher. Go around it. <laughs> Our equipment set is not set up for those dirt, loose dirt turns that you rode. There's a reason why you guys had big fat knobs on your tires when we have slick, bald tires. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a choice, dude. That's true. That's true. You I mean, always have a choice. I, I know. It's true. Like, people are like, oh, you notice the lips a little different on that double. Like, who cares? Right. <laughs> Literally did that at the track I, today. I actually oh looked God, at that. People. You know, lips too. Like, lips are different from left to right. I would also look at those lips where, you know, sometimes you get a one spot, you get a booter. You know, like, it kind of throws you wrong. I would actually go look at the lip. I'm like, hey, why is it doing this over here? Is there another spot? Maybe I can hit it at another spot where it's a little bit smoother or better that works for me. And I had literally tracks where I just went, instead of, you know, taking the the normal line, I would go swoop over about two meters, about six feet or so, eight feet, and hit it at a smoother a part of the lip where I could jump the jump better or manual the jump better and keep going. Yeah, wow. Man, that is such, that's awesome. Like, what a smart way to approach it and what an advantage you had being as smart and analytical. And, you know, now with the, the tracks being so perfectly groomed and everything, even that advantage is really taken away. And that's too bad because, you know, that would really make a big difference back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This little detailed one and still is little details make the difference, right? Absolutely. So after after your win in '99, that's kind of you said after that you started you you made the decision to move to the U.S. kind of take it full time. What was it like? What was the whole experience like when you first moved over, moved over there and riding for the GT team at the time, which was one of the it was one of the biggest and biggest teams around, right? Like it had kind of the superstars, wasn't it called the firm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were the firms. Uh, it was called the firm. Uh, <laughs> so I'm you like the rookie showing up and all these pros, big guys, and like. And uh, back then, you had to earn respect, man. They uh, they would test you. They would put you in place at races. Like, freaking John Purse sent me over the, over the second turn, first moto, pro open. <laughs> me in first, him in second, which was is normally like, okay, I got a first, second, that's a good start. No, he just sent me over a turn, test me. <laughs> so I just 
got back on the track, finished the track, and just you know kept going to the stage uh, to the uh, the pit area. <laughs> I was like, I just kept my mouth shut, um, you know. And then hanging out with all the big guys, uh, you know, Charles Townsend, uh, Gary Ellis, Dale Holmes, Thomas was on the team, Greg Romero. Dude, I'm like, I was, I just was quiet. I just didn't say anything. Yeah. It'd be some super, it'd be some superstars when you're moving over there. I'm sure like they feel like the big dogs. Yeah. How was it uh, getting used? To, how was it getting? How was it getting used to the uh, U.S. circuit? Were the tracks quite a bit different from Europe back then too? Um, the tracks were easier, technically wise, but the biggest struggle I had was with the gate. The gate dropped a lot quicker, so I had to really uh, reinvent my gate starts. That's interesting, yeah. Cause I, we go to ABA races now, and I feel like the gate's slow. <laughs> yeah, um, but back then, when I, when I was racing in Europe, we had a lot of gates were still with magnets and stuff, so it was like gravity kind of pulled them down. So that's another thing that was very different at each track, uh, how the gate dropped. It, one, you know, uh, we had three lights, red, yellow, green. And on one track, you go, like, you see red, you go. And at my old track, my local track, I would go between yellow and green. <laughs> you know, so we, that's another thing I always did when I got to a track. It's like, go oh, before practice, I'd go check out the gate, how it drops. Like, okay, I got to go begin yellow. All right. Or early green or whatever. You had these set points where it's like, okay, I, that's when I need to go. Because that gate drops quicker or slower than... The, the, the gate you're used to. Yeah, you, you put that, you give that to somebody nowadays and they'd be freaking out. They're like, they, they would be baffled. We get, it's like, we're like a light off or like a millimeter off in the gate timing and it's like, okay, something's wrong. Gate's, gate's not dropping to yeah, the time. Like, even when I was, uh, when I started, first started racing ABA when I was a kid, would have been like early 2000s, every gate was quite a bit different for national. It was one of the good things you had to adapt to. When did yeah, that's you, the thing, you know, you really got to learn and, you, and over time, you'll learn those little tricks that will help you yeah, exactly. uh, make yeah. the small adjustments. When did you When did you start to find, I'll say, like success in the U.S. or on the U.S. scene and the circuit there? Like, did it take some time to get used to everything? Like you say, adapt to the this, the new different gates and different tracks and whatnot. Uh, well, before I really moved, I, I uh, before I moved here, I already uh, like in '99. I came to America for three months, uh, stayed here, get ready for the European season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I lived with my old team manager, Todd Corbett, that, well, taught me everything I needed to know in, uh, in a dad, dad's way, so to speak, in a tough dad way, <laughs> which I'm still thankful for. Um, so I've been here before many times to already kind of, so that gap, that adjustment was already kind of made during the, the times that I was coming here. So when I permanently moved here in 2001, uh, all the adjustments were pretty much already made and it just, you know, rolled into the season. That's cool. Yeah. Cause I feel like sometimes it takes some of the Europeans like, or anybody in general, when they, when they come over, it takes them a little bit of time just to, just adapt to the lifestyle and whatnot. So that was interesting yeah, yeah. to hear. I was going to say, were you guys on TV more back then? Like, I feel like the races in the States were on TV back then. Or am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, they were on TV. And, and those were the big uh, big races where everybody uh, primed themselves for so they could... Uh, which, well, which, which ones were on TV? 
Uh, man, I can't remember the names. If you want to know all that stuff, you got to talk to Dale Holmes. He knows everything on that part. Uh, but we were on ESPN uh, a few times. Um, from uh, uh, Crank It Up? No, it's not Crank It Up. I don't it's know those names anymore. It's called Crank, yeah. Yeah, Crank, yeah. So, yeah, I remember, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, those were the the races that everybody wanted to do good at and uh, so they can put their uh, faces on the TV. <laughs> of course, yeah. That must have helped sponsorship quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. That was good. Let, let's just let's just get that out there right now. Let's talk about the money and the sport back then versus now. Was it like it was as, as good as it sounds? It what like we we think it was. What time period are we talking about? Uh, when you moved over to the U.S., let's say around like let's just so, say yeah. two thousand to two thousand five. Um, yeah. I don't get me wrong. I still had a good salary and, and uh, bonus structure and all that stuff, but I just missed the boat. I guess with the with the with the gold on it, so to speak, by a few years. Thomas got on that boat still, so that gives you a little bit of a time frame where and before that there was really good sponsorship deals out there with people uh, making a good amount of money. Okay. Wasn't Christoph and, uh, making like ten k? Wasn't Christoph making like ten k a month from Specialized or something back then? That's what I heard. Could be. <laughs> Yeah, back in the that. day, it was uh, they were pretty pretty uh, solid on not telling anybody what uh, what they were making, so everybody was guessing. But uh, I know one thing: uh, you had a good salary, a really good salary. <laughs> you had no worries. So are we talking like north of ten k, or? <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. Who did you who did you race? Who was your kind of age? Who did you grow up racing um, around that time? Like, because. I can't do as much research as I can for people nowadays. Like to just watch videos of you guys all the time. So I don't know this. Mm -hmm. uh, what who I was racing against? Uh, Thomas Allier, Greg Romero, uh, Randy Stumphauser, Christian, uh, Matt Polkamp, Robbie Miranda. Uh, I raced against Brian Foster for a little bit, um, but he kind of when I came over here, he kind of moved out. Um, I don't know. I'm missing a lot of names right now. Um, so yeah, that was the time era when, uh, when, you know, it was competitive. Yeah. Okay. And it was fun. At that, at, that, at that point in time, was there, was there, were there national teams? Was there a Dutch national team or did that just come in when Beijing came in? Uh, yeah, that wasn't around really much. Uh, you know, then, uh, the, there was a national team, but it wasn't really a national team like we know it now. You can't really compare it yeah. to you. They were completely different. You guys didn't really uh, have – there wasn't any World Cups or anything, was there? You just raced ABA, BMX in the Worlds, right? The first World Cup I raced was in 95, I think. Uh, Garrett Dude, okay. uh, another man I have to thank uh, for what he done for me. He was the person that got me on GT Europe uh, and, and – uh, you know, got me onto the highway to uh, to America, pretty much. Uh, he started off the World Cup in '94, '95. Uh, I tried to get that off the ground, and we did that for two, three years, and then it kind of didn't go as planned. Uh, so there was kind of World Cups, but they weren't like the World Cups we know right now. Why do Why do I feel like 
I feel like that was a long time ago, and I feel like there was a span. Like, I didn't even know the World Cups were back then. Like, is it is it bad that I don't realize that World Cups didn't start? And, or I, I thought World Cups started, like, I don't know, 2005, <laughs> six, seven. <laughs> no, no, the, the, those, there were World Cups, but if they never really in my opinion established uh, it was almost like if you look at ba- uh, back at it right now it almost looks like an afterthought okay like just an add to well not an afterthought like an added to okay let's do one you know because road cycling and mountain biking as a two we BMX needs to have a World Cup as well they just tried to so, throw it in there and just hope it kind of worked but it wasn't really the same yeah. it wasn't really the same yeah so when, uh, BMX, when BMX got announced for uh, Beijing was it basically something that Obviously, you wanted to go and everything. Yeah. How, how was that? Because yeah, well, obviously, you guys, you guys were the pioneers with with Supercross. So how was it? I guess how was it first getting into Supercross from just normal tracks? Uh, it was different. And as you know, well, and we talked about it earlier. Uh, I well, what I started off with when we were racing that kind of track, you know, I I, I had no trouble adjusting. Um, to a track like that, big starting hill. I didn't, it didn't mind me. I kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was very exciting. Uh, bigger jumps, uh, bigger lips, uh, just a different kind of track. So I really enjoyed it. I had no problems with it adjusting at all. The changes you went through, so from let's say winning the Worlds 99, that track, to then going, you raced the, were they World Cups, the ones at Woodward, the Supercross tracks at Woodward, and mm-hmm. then like all the way until the official Supercross hill that we have today, which was at, you know, in Beijing and whatnot, like the amount of different style of tracks you had to adapt to is crazy to me. It is. <laughs> yeah, the downhill tracks, they were... Those were fucking was wild. Exci- Those are awesome. Yeah, they were wild in so many ways because um, they used the dirt that was there uh, mainly. Uh, so... It wasn't the smoothest dirt uh, and the smoothest uh, smoothest ground uh, surface you're racing on, so that was rough. Um, then you're going downhill, so we're not used to those kind of speeds either. So um, you notice that uh, the faster you go uh, and the lips kind of stay similar to, you know, what we're used to on a regular track, turn into being like walls pretty much because you know you have so much more speed. So um, it was challenging in uh, a lot of ways, dealing with the service, with the speed, figuring out how fast you had to go or not fast you need to go because there were some jumps where you had to slow down a little bit or else you were going <laughs> to pancake yourself into the next jump. And that was the scariest part to me and, and the biggest challenge for me to and for every rider to figure out how fast they needed to go to clear it. And then they kind of got to figure it out. Well, there was always this or one or two guys. They were kind of like the test dummies. They were like, you know, just go for it. And uh, over time, I learned to, you know, let's just wait and see, watch and watch other riders ride it first. And then, okay, kind of, all right, they do it that way. Okay, then try to do that the same way. And then uh, grow uh, a bigger set, uh, big enough set of balls and then just go for it. Yeah. That's wild because – some of those tracks, like, I don't even know where you would start. Like, on the Woodward downhill ones, like, 
was it like just go hit the first one okay if you make it fine hit the next one or would you start like the turn before because nowadays it's simply you just you start on the jump in and turn watch one guy go you crank about like 80 percent keep the front wheel up and you're fine <laughs> but back then it's yeah. like where do you start yeah um <laughs> yeah that was the well i started by watching other people go first <laughs> and blow up or not blow up <laughs> oh well he 50 hey. that i should probably go at least two feet higher up the hill <laughs> hey i i learned the hard way man i learned the hard way i was in the beginning when i was younger i was the one that was like i need to go first okay let me go i want to go first yeah well that didn't turn out very well most of the time so <laughs> i learned from my mistakes to let other, other people go first and then then uh and observe, learn, and then go yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Woodward, like with Woodward, the top part was more racer style, so it was a lot um, very familiar to us, so it was kind of easy. Um, but after the hip jump, uh, it was full on big jumps. Um, so yeah, we just went, I just waited and watched the other guys go for it and kind of picked their brains a little bit and. Uh, how they jumped off the lip. Like, hey, did you suck it up or did you launch it or did you get it floated? Did you let it float a little bit? And then uh, get some information that way and then just, uh, you know, suck it up and went for it. Yeah, crazy. And it was scary, dude, because that step up jump at Woolworth was huge. Oh, yeah. The first time I got on that lip and I looked at him like, I, 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 yeah, uh, my heart dropped a little bit. Oh, so the funny thing, though, yeah, I was insane. The funny thing is that jump was one of the easiest jumps on the track. I the first time I jumped it, I overjumped it. It was just and one I, of the scariest like, looking. I, like, yeah, it was the biggest jump I ever jumped. But it was I overjumped it a little bit the first time, and I didn't really pull up either. I kind of let it flow, but I still jumped it far. Yeah, classic. So after you obviously you guys started getting used to Supercross and stuff, when did you when did the Olympics come on your radar? Uh, when it was officially uh, in Beijing, um, that's when it got on the radar, and uh, then all of a sudden, and at that time, all almost every sponsor, big sponsor. Uh, so let me start with. Uh, so when we had GT riding, right, you had Schwinn, you had Harrow, and you had a uh, uh, line. Um, you had all these big companies, BMX companies, they had all these big main sponsors. We had Panasonic Shockwave, we had Chevy, uh, blah, 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 you know, and, and uh, other uh, 1-800-Collect, uh, name a few. They had all these main companies uh, creating this budget for the teams to, uh, you know, get riders on team, blah, blah, blah. Um, in 2002, uh, three, four-ish, it, those sponsors pulled away. So all of a sudden, the budget Why? just, uh, I can't recall. I think it was, it was a recession or something. Um, but they all stepped away. So the budgets that we're used to were no, not, uh, not longer there anymore. So a lot of pros were starting to struggle, uh, having problems making ends meet. Uh, a lot of retired. Uh, and I was at the point where I was like, eh, it's not going very well. I was like, there's a, a good chance I have to go back. You know, I can't, I can't make a salary. I, I can't make a living for myself. Uh, it might be a done deal. And then all of a sudden BMX 
came into the Olympics, uh, it changed things around, not on sponsorship wise, but more from a federation, from a country's federation wise. Uh, a lot of uh, countries, their federations, they're like, oh, crap, it's an Olympics. We got to put money into it to, you know, be able to be, uh, represent uh, our country in that sport. So then the Dutch Cycling Federation stepped up. So I was right in the moment, maybe moving back home all of a sudden, oh, I can stay again. I've always been curious of that timeline. Yeah, because back then it's like it kind of seems like it happened quickly. So did you stay leading in? Knowing the games were in 2008, we're going to be in Beijing, BMX was going to be included. Did you stay yep. in the U.S. and just kind of put your head down, and that was kind of your goal at that point? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, boss, uh, boss the Beaver approached me, asked me if I wanted to join the team, uh, the national team. Um, at, at that point, at that time, I didn't really have an option. Uh, till that time, I was... Um, at that time, everybody was kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. As a rider, they got, uh, they trained by themselves. Uh, they went, well, they, they buddied up sometimes to go to Sheep Hills or to Orange Y, but they typically did their own thing. It wasn't really a team. Um, all of a sudden, you know, National Federation came and it's like, oh crap, now I gotta, you know, do everything what they want me to do. Yeah. Um, or at least a lot of things. And that was uh, a challenge for me. Uh, it was very difficult for me because I was so used to like, I just, I, I'm going to walk this path. This is what I want to do. And I think this is what's best for me. All of a sudden I have other people involved um, telling me what I should do and what I needed to do and, and wanted stuff from me. And then uh, uh, I had a hard time with that. And that was uh, a big step for me um but yeah i had no option really because i had no well not really any sponsors left and i wasn't able to go to races because to each race each month uh, uh weekend cost roughly thousand to fifteen hundred bucks alone to get there and race and then well money wasn't there so uh i needed that help from the, the, the cycling federations to be able to continue my uh, career so uh I ended up uh, having a good talk with Boz, and uh, the rest was his history, pretty much. How was it being on the team, like training with the other guys and everything? Did you like being on the uh, team? Uh, I had nothing individually with the, with the riders. They're good guys, awesome guys. Uh, but like I said, I was so used to doing things on my own and by myself. Um, all of a sudden, you're in a team, and... I had a hard time with that. On top of that, I was about almost 10 years older than everybody else. So my interest yeah, was tough. way different than, uh, than them. So there, I had some moments where I was like, I need to get out of here. Uh, it just was too much for me. Yeah, I feel like that age gap at that time would have been tough because, I mean, you've obviously gone through the changes of the sport. And then at that time, did it seem like those guys had been growing up for that and you were kind of um, – like, were you adapting at that point, did it feel like? Or was it still kind of, you'd done it, like, you'd done the Supercross stuff long enough that it was just normal at that point? Uh, the, the track, the only thing I needed to tap to was uh, the random gate. But the tracks and stuff and the starting hill wasn't really a big deal for me. Just uh, the gate, I had, uh, I needed some time to get adjusted to. Mm -hmm. You know, but, uh, yeah, with the team, 
the team was uh, it was uh, those you know they were kids, man. They were like uh, the testosterone levels were through the roof. So uh, girls and park and blah blah blah, and I'm like. I'm married, like, yeah, okay, there's a little bit much. I just go sit in my room. <laughs> Please don't bother me. I heard that uh, was a little bit when you guys were much. I was going to say, when you guys were trained before Beijing, I heard you got hurt before. Yeah. What'd you do? About two months. Uh, I decided to do a crash, hit my head really hard, gave myself a severe concussion. Uh, to, I had uh, three bleedings in my, my brain. Uh, oh my God. Um, which went away by itself. The next day, they were hardly there anymore. And then that, two days later, they were gone. So they were very minor. But as you know, hitting your head, uh, you have bleedings that you had a good hand, uh, a good hit. The inside of my helmet was disintegrated, it was blown out. So I can't really remember the part of me crashing uh, until I got to the hospital. Wow. Um, was it at Chula so, Vista? Yeah. yeah, that was in Chula Vista. We had a training camp. Uh, I was doing, uh, I was going pretty good. Uh, I was lighting it up pretty good. Like my day uh, would say, uh, I'm ready to light this shit up. Uh, I was in that mode. I'm about to light this uh, shit up. Uh, yeah. Where did you, did you have? I, could, I guess you couldn't really train after that, but before the Olympics, probably a ton anyway, or had to at least take some time off, right? Yeah, I was in hospital for three days. Uh, I was in bed for a week. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't handle any sunlight. Uh, just watching TV was too much information for my brain. I was driving me nuts, driving me insane. I couldn't watch it. Uh, then steadily, a uh, week later, I went back home, uh, flew to the Netherlands, and slowly tried to pick up training. But the doctor that saw me at the hospital in San Diego, uh, where they did the scans and everything, he said, if you're a football player, this is uh, season ending. Um, don't do any strenuous workout for three months. I'm like, I got the Olympics in uh, in like a month. Um, he's like, I'm just giving you advice. All right. So, uh, don't hit your head for the next three years or so. Um, next three years, you said? I'm sorry. He said next three years. Yeah. For a while. Like you don't wow. hit your head for a while. Wow. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I was uh, not going to be denied. So I, I wanted to go to the Olympics. Was that the smartest thing to do? Probably not. Um, but don't regret it uh, either, uh, to be honest. But yeah, I definitely uh, in the Beijing, I wasn't in the best shape I should have been. I could have been. Yeah, I, I know how frustrating that is because I went into London getting really badly injured before too, and it's frustrating because it's such a big race, and you're happy to be there and be at the Olympics, but it's so frustrating when you know there's so much more you can give in such a race like that, and you just can't go faster. Yeah, and just my, uh, I finally noticed that my focus was a little bit off. I wasn't on, it wasn't dialed in as it should have been and uh, needed to be, you know. Um, because the first time, dude, first time I rolled the track after my, and I rolled it, just rolled it, literally just rolled the track. 
I could, my brain registers every pebble, little bumps. This is like, dude, that's way too much information for my brain right now. All the things that you never really notice when you're racing, you don't even pick up on. I picked up on that laptop. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. And you also know that uh, um, a concussion works a little bit different than an injury. Uh, an injury will tell you right away, like, don't do this. This hurts. This, this is, you're not ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, a brain will tell you afterwards you've done something. Uh, so yeah, it was very, so very challenging, uh, challenging to, to monitor. And I got a good reality check um, on that when uh, a few weeks before the Olympics, they, we had to pack uh, extra stuff. Uh, the country would ship a few big containers to Beijing with all the extra equipment for every sport. Um, so we had to put a couple boxes together with spare parts and extra stuff of, um, and send that out beforehand. So I had to really think. And when I was packing the bags and the boxes, I really like did it. Do I have everything? Thinking, you know, like you normally pack your bag. And after three hours, I had the biggest headache ever. You know, I, I, I couldn't think. I just had to sit down and had to relax in bed by just using your brain. You know, it's just like you had to think too much. You know, and it just overloaded my brain a little bit at that point. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. it's crazy. Concussions, concussions are a different beast altogether. Yeah, and, and that's a, the the the. So I experienced that firsthand. You done that too, Tori. Um, it's very yeah. difficult to explain to people uh, when their kid crashed at the track and uh, uh, to explain, like, you, could, you see him crash, you see him hit the head, you see the scratches on the helmet, blah, 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 and sometimes they already look a little bit woozy out of their eyes. Um, uh, and then tell them, like, hey, you're done for today, bud. Sorry. And then you have this conversation yeah. with the parents, and some of the parents, they – well, my kid is okay. He just says he's okay. I'm like, hey, well, he just, uh, he just rung his bell. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, know, he's like not. So, oh, he did. Like he did knock himself out. Yeah. Oh, he wasn't out, dude. You don't even have to hit your head to get a concussion. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's it's a very difficult uh, uh, conversation sometimes, and and. Uh, I, I experienced it my uh, firsthand, so I just tell him like you're done for the day, you know. And, and please monitor if you have headaches and all that stuff and all those symptoms. Uh, uh, don't do anything, you know. Don't I don't want to see you back until you're symptom free. Yeah, it's it's hard because too like if, if you're at a race, people travel to go there. The kid is mm-hmm. so motivated, or the rider, if they're elite, is so motivated. The last thing they want to do is stop, and often they'll might not necessarily notice their symptoms or just ignore them and want to go anyway. So yep. it takes a lot of awareness. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Yep. Yep. And, and there's so much more knowledge out there, uh, than even when I had my concussion, that was over, uh, that's 12 years ago. Uh, there's so much more, uh, proven, uh, scientifically proven uh, knowledge out there that, that it's, uh, you got to treat this beast a little bit different than a normal injury. Did you so? Did you leave Beijing a little disappointed with the fact that you weren't able to put your vest on? I was really pissed, dude. Yeah. I was pissed. Yeah, the next day, I uh, my wife came there to well, support me. Obviously, I 
I just went, I went away. I just, we ended up going to, uh, uh, what's it called? The big pl- palace in, uh, in Beijing. Can't come up with the name. I just had to be out. Like I, I couldn't, I did. I was so devastated, so devastated. Uh, cause for years you've been building up. That was my main focus, my main goal to podium at the Olympics. And I know it was a very realistic, uh, goal. I got second the year before the test event. Uh, and bef- up till my crash, dude, I was thinking, uh, I was feeling golden too. Like I felt good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was even more difficult right so yeah i the next day i was out i uh, i told boss like i gotta go i can't i can't be around uh so me and my wife went pretty much to downtown beijing and just walked around and chilled and but the race was postponed anyway that day because it was rain um so they couldn't race that day so the next day i went out and then i checked out the racing but yeah it took me a while took me actually four years to actually appreciate that i went to the olympics Coming into it like that, like sound, sounding like you were going so fast before and you're feeling confident that you can go there and do so well to have that. It just feels like, yeah, I, I can imagine it's like a shitty feeling completely. Yeah. 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 It took me while well, watching the London games to realize, like, to appreciate, you know, that I actually was able to experience that whole Olympic dream, atmosphere, everything, right? Yeah. Uh, it took me four years. So it was crazy. What, what were your years it, like after that? Because I mean, you already said you were one of the older oh. riders on the team. Like, what did? How was your? How did your mindset change after that? Like, what were your goals after the the Olympics then? Tough. Even even before the Olympics, I was struggling mentally with the team thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Nothing against the, the individual rider. It was just being around a bunch of riders and the team doing. Everything with the team was really tough on me. That winter before Beijing, I almost hung up the bike. I was done with it. I was ready to, you know what, walk away from it. Um, But I was able to kind of keep it going. And then when the Olympics, actually after the Worlds uh, that year, uh, so you have those two, three months getting ready to go for the Olympics, that's when, you know, I really turned it on. Uh, and focused on the Olympics. Then the year, two years after, after the Olympics, I was mentally struggling. I was, you know, fooling myself, like, uh, with just trying to keep going, but, and I was still want to do it, but the motivation wasn't there. It wasn't quite there. That desire wasn't quite there. Mm-hmm. It was there, but it wasn't there. It, it was hard to explain. You're kind of forcing then, yourself uh, to be motivated. Like, you're telling yourself, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, motivated, yeah, but yeah. you really weren't, yeah. Yeah, so you were always fighting silently you fight yourself every time for a week in week out it was tough uh then uh what was it south africa world of south africa i uh it was starting to come back the desire came back the 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 fight uh the passion was coming back so uh me and boss had a little talk uh, and he was actually really surprised because he he saw all the symptoms he was having at the end of his career. He saw that in me. Um, so when I came to him, like, hey, dude, I want to go for the, for London. And I think I'm ready to go. I'm, like, actually excited to go again. But I got to change a couple of things in my training. Um, 
that I feel like I'm missed out on the last few years. Um, so we made a compromise with training and stuff. Um, um, after that, um, and I start training and, uh, Mila was there, uh, was just born and, uh, training was really going really well that year. Really, really well. And, uh, what is it? 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, Dude, I was back on it. The, the fire was back, so to speak. Yeah. And then uh, uh, first World Cup that year was in uh, Marsburg. Uh, and the crossover, I think Terry raced there. Did you race there, James? No, I wasn't ever. Yeah, I, was. I raced there, yeah. I like that track, I, actually. Yeah, I didn't like it much, but whatever. I made it work. Um <laughs> uh, you know um, that whole off season that off year right that uh, in the off season I set a lot on the rollers a lot of base endurance uh, intervals and stuff like that um, and I hadn't really done any speed work yet up that time and I made the main um, over there and I was able to because that was the biggest thing I was struggling with maintaining a full lap I was not able to get uh, do a good full lap 100% Mm-hmm. Um, and that dude, con- uh, conditioning wise over there, I was freaking sailing. I felt great all the way to the main. I <laughs> uh, felt a little bit slow down the first straight, but I was like, you know what? I-, I haven't really focused on that yet, so that's fine. And I made the main. Uh, I was excited about that, and then uh, and I was gonna transition into my speed phase in that time anyway. Hello, you still there? I'm still here. Tori just cut out. Well, I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, I thought you always cut out. Normally, I'm the one that cuts out. I know. It's just fantastic. Like, what? I'm on the good end right now. <laughs> what the hell? So, Weird. should we give him crap for this? Hell, yeah. We can give him crap for it. I don't know why he cut out, but we're going to give him crap just because we can. Uh, I think I think his phone died. <laughs> what a rookie. What a rookie. Let's just light him up right now, Rachel. Let's light him up because yeah, this, this is I me I have normally. my phone charger ready to go. You're prepared. <laughs> Isn't he on, like, a, a training camp somewhere? Yeah, he's currently in Toronto, uh, in Ontario, doing some camps. He's driving, like, from one track to someone's house for the next camps. Yep. Ah. Uh, so, where he's, ad- he's adapting, but I th- I'm pretty sure his phone died because I went to call him back, and it went straight to voicemail. So. so, so let me get this picture right. When you were cutting out, you were on the road all the time. And now he's on the road, and you're at home. He cuts out. Yep. So what does that mean? It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's being on the road when you're, you're, you you have limited resources and whatnot. I mean, my, I was getting cut out in the last shows when I was at home, but that's because my Wi-Fi was crap there. So that's, that wasn't my problem. Yeah, but dude, you got a teamies over there. They have Wi-Fi over there. That's true. They do. I'm giving him a call back. We'll see if he answers. Probably um, not. He's, he's got one shot. He better not mess this up. They better find a Timmy soon. <laughs> oh, T, are you back now? Yeah, I'm back. I'm having issues. <laughs> Sounds familiar. But I lost, my, I lost my route on the GPS. I got no idea where the hell I am. I ran out of service, so I had to pull over. And the call got dropped. And yeah, but I'm back. I'm back on both. I'm back on both. <laughs> hey, you better go go find a Timmy's and, and order me a double double. <laughs> You love oh, them. you know what you should get? A honey cruller and uh, a French apple fritter. Those are the best donuts in the world. 
Oh, good. I, I'm not a fan, dude. I'm not a fan. I what I was in in Canada one year, and like, oh, they had the Nutella something like the special uh, donuts for that month. Ooh, dude, they were no, so good. Yeah. They're they were so good. Those are a naughty treat right there. They are so yeah. Chalk <laughs> dirty to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry yeah. bob sorry bob continue as you were saying uh i forgot where we're at where were we we're, we're, um oh get my fire back yeah getting your fire back racing yeah. in pia marisburg and um yeah yeah 2011 dude i was feeling it like i was like well the, the plan that i had set out with boss like it was starting to work out uh i was i kind of hit where i was planning to be Mm-hmm. At that time, which was good, and then uh, a month later, on my birthday, I uh, decided to break my ankle on the local by the uh, at Belfort BMX. So that kind of messed everything up. Yeah, yeah, it must have put that a wrench in things big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, that sucked. Then Mark. Tammy's son comes walking over, starts laughing in my face. Oh, that was for you. Because it was a stupid thing. I was on the backside of the starting hill, and uh, I was going on a diagonal way, and my back was skidded. I put my foot out, and at the same time, when I put my foot on the ground, my pedal caught the ankle, and uh, it literally folded my foot backwards with all my weight. My, well, I was sitting on the bike, so all the weight was on the ankle. So I was pulling my uh, foot back, and it broke my uh, my ankle. Fuck. So and I so Mark comes laughing because it was well, if you looked at it, it was kind of stupid. Yeah. So he's laughing, laughing at me. I'm like, uh, can you go get a bag of ice because I have a bad feeling about this. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, oh shit. So he ran off, got the ice, and and. Uh, I used my knee pads to stabilize the ankle a little bit. Got in the car, went to the hospital, and found out it was uh, broken. You drove yourself to the hospital? No, Mark did. Okay, okay, good. Uh, I was going to say. <laughs> no, I couldn't. That was my gas pedal, so I would have yeah. gone really fast or really slow. <laughs> one or two. It's, uh, it's no. incredible you have those kind of injuries that happen off those littlest things like that that are so random. Oh, it's awful. It's so annoying. Like, those, yeah, it's terrible. Those are the worst, and that happens often, dude. I've mm-hmm. seen it so many times. The old guys crash, and they freaking like leave a huge crater on the track, and they bounce right back up, and they're like, "I'm good." And then you see another guy just like fall over, going one mile an hour. Yeah. And then oh, he has to go to the hospital because he broke a leg or or something. It's like really, yeah. so it's just <laughs> strange how it works. Yeah, big time. I know. One of my biggest fears before Rio was getting hurt. <laughs> I remember the last. The last session I did with James, I jumped to the triple into the last turn on our last first straight. I landed and rolled to the turn. Oh my god, I fucking made it! <laughs> oh, we're yeah, done, dude, baby. If you start thinking, you know, uh, well, I, this is what I know is over years when you start thinking about all the things that can go wrong before you want to do something, it is actually going to go wrong. Uh-huh. For sure, you, know, you, you just got to go and do it. Yeah. You start thinking about the wrong things. And then one of those wrong things is going to happen. Instead of just thinking about the wrong thing, just focus on what you need to do, and you will be fine. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I think it's everyone's biggest not to get hurt. But you got to train. You got to do do the best you can, prepare the best you can, and just hope it works out. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and, and how many times I've seen people like, oh, I'm going to take it easy the last few weeks before the uh, big idea. raise, whatever. And, and, and yeah, they get hurt. Stupid yeah. shit. Yeah. Or Stupid you're not going to be as sharp. You're not going to be as sharp at the race if you do that. Like you got to prepare and whatever happens, yep. happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all life, life rolls, man. Yeah. Yeah. So after, after Palmer, you did, that, that's how life rolls. Amen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So after you did your ankle there, what was what was it like trying to get back in shape and get ready for 2012? Or w- at that point, did you know like it was going to be a long shot? I knew it was going to be a really long shot, uh, and then you know the recovery uh, was well. I was already kind of I was a dinosaur considering in BMX. I was just a dinosaur. Uh, 35 years old uh recovery is not going as fast as uh, when i was 18 so and with tendons in general and joints in general it just takes longer um than a normal break um so it took me a long time for me to kind of get back to the explosive part where i needed to be and by the time i got there the gap was already so big and we're already so close to to uh, to uh, London. It was already a done deal, which sucked again. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine at that point. Yeah, it comes down to like feeling great again, starting to feel like you got your motivation back, and then injury like that basically just makes everything come to an abrupt halt. And then at that point, like you're not going to the Olympics. Did you did you know you wanted to just finish out the year and retire? Because was that? The oh last yeah, I already made that to? decision. I, I already made that decision. Picking. Uh, the talk that I had with Boss at, at uh, Peter yeah. Myersburg, uh, like, uh, that is it, London is it, I'm going to finish the year because I had a few sponsors that, uh, that sponsored me throughout the year, so I'm going to wrap up the uh, the year, and that's it. So the Grand uh, 2012 was my last year, so my last race. I know, we, should, we need to talk about how we are in the same quarter in Abbasur, and I fucking smoked you. <laughs> Where? <laughs> We were in the same corner in Abbotsford at your last World Cup, and I fucking smoked you. Dude, at that time, I didn't care anymore, dude. Yeah, I know me either, but I still smoked you. <laughs> dude, you were in the prime of your life. I was like, yeah, whatever. Dude, I had my spleen taken out like three months before. I could barely breathe. Ah, dude, you were on a local, local, uh, local track high, bitch. Uh, <laughs> no, that was I was really that was really cool to be able to race you at your last World Cup. But I remember we were at the Grands that year. I was racing there too, and I was really cool to see kind of your sends off your send send offs on both of those accounts. That was special. Yeah, it was a lot more emotional than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was yeah. Uh, it was good. It was good. There's nothing wrong with it. I, I enjoyed it. I remember, I remember at the Grands. I think for our last round, I was behind the gate, like right behind you. And uh, Redman announced, this is Afro Bob's last ever moto as an elite or something like that. And everyone clapped. And, yeah, that was really cool. That's that was awesome. really cool. That was a good thing I had goggles on. That was a good thing I had goggles on. Because I remember we were back at the at the red line truck after and I gave you a big hug and we got a photo and stuff. That was I was really special. I'm glad I was there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, I had tears in my eyes. Dude. Yeah, that lap didn't go very well either. <laughs> no, <laughs> I but how my could you're probably crying in the gate. How could it possibly go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My eyes were uh, watery and stuff, and like I couldn't really. Play. I was glad I was able to finish the lap. To be honest, I didn't kill myself. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, good times, man. 30 years, man, competitive, uh, racing competitively, so uh, 30 years is long enough. Any, the, the classic question, I guess, like, um, proud of everything you've done? Any regrets? I'm sorry? Are you proud of everything you've done and feel content with your career? Do you have any regrets, anything like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, maybe I would have changed one thing. Tank Hill was turning Abbotsford on the Supercross race. <laughs> no, uh, now you give me crap for it. You're just, it's too bad it no, wasn't dirt turn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you dude, Tori doesn't know how to handle a dirt turn. <laughs> uh, no, I well, you know, there's always um, no. I didn't regret anything, but there are things that you're like, crap. I wish I could have done it differently. But that also. Yeah, those are learning experiences that made me into what I am today. And, yep. you know, if yep. you don't have those bad experiences, uh, you don't, you turn into somebody else, you know, you, you like the bad, you learn the most from your failures. 100%. I mean, you only, all you can do is the best you can at the time with the information and knowledge you have. You, you don't know any yep. better at the time. Yeah. No, no, it was, uh, it was awesome. And I don't regret one minute of it. Did you? So after Besides the, sending you over the turn. <laughs> God, that would have been epic. Can you imagine? Just <laughs> fucking sends me over the first turn. <laughs> oh, well, what are you going to do? Oh, that would have been awesome. You, yep. Even after, like, you retired, like, it, you can, it seems clear that you still have had that passion for the sport and whatnot because you have your coaching you do with the BMX Evolution Academy. You coach riders. You coach myself. Um, was that something you knew you wanted to do after you retired, or was that just something that came about because you were still passionate about the sport? Well, yeah, I it, I, I still love the sport, right? I, I still do. Uh, I just don't have the desire to compete. Okay. Uh, I haven't had that since I retired, to be honest. Uh, but I still enjoy watching you guys race and and get chills when I see an awesome move or or see you do really fucking killing it at the, at the world and all that stuff that gets me going uh gets me really excited uh you know um but yeah no desire to race but the coaching thing in uh i think it started a little bit uh with gt was still around uh, they had the big uh, trailer the truck and trailer uh, so in summertime they would have these uh summer tours where they have pros uh, one or two pros um, in the truck riding with, you know, the the chauffeur uh, was Mark Melton and uh, Agnew was one of those guys that drive the truck to every event because in the summertime was the main time. So they had uh, 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 a route pointed out that the trailer would go to all these nationals and in between they would hit up these local tracks and do clinics there. Um, and that was kind of like the summer tour, the GT summer tour, and other teams did that too. Um, so one year I was with them, and I traveled on the road for a few weeks, and uh, we went to certain tracks, and we did clinics at the tracks with the with the and dude, those clinics were huge, like so many people came out. It was stupid. <laughs> um, that's where I really enjoyed that, and uh, to work with the riders and. and you know, teach them new stuff uh, and it didn't really matter if it was just balancing on the gate or being able to jump a tabletop uh, just to see their excitement in their eyes was I guess it was very satisfying and grad- uh, 
Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Just gratifying, maybe? Fulfilling. Fulfilling. Gratifying. There you go. Gratifying. Uh, to see them, you know, accomplishing something new and get them excited. That reminds me of me when I was younger, you know, me riding with my buddy Henry and some other friends where we just try to jump over tires and try to go as high as possible where you, you know, yeah. uh, that's new, new stuff, you know. Um, and I still do. Still hear local track. Same thing. Uh, new riders come in uh, and, and I coach every level, like from good riders that can almost do everything to people uh riders are still try to learn how to manual but once they learn how to manual and they get excited about it that that's an, a win for me so i really enjoy coaching uh how challenging it, it, it will it is at times it's still very satisfying and very fun to do where did i gotta just ask because like where did you learn to kind of talk to the younger riders and explain it to them because i when you came up to to canada to do some coaching i can't remember what year it was now um, but I just, I helped you and Adam out and mm -hmm. the way you were able to describe different movements to kids, I thought it was amazing. And like, I use that today. Um, where did you kind of figure all that stuff out? Did you just kind of just kind of learn on your own? Hey, can I get a commission on that? Well, n no, because I, I, I'm not like, you know, there's no, there's no paraphrasing going on. Maybe there is. Uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm giving um, you the credit right know. now. <laughs> to be, I, maybe it's because at heart, I feel like I'm still a kid. Okay. And I think you notice that over time <laughs> when you be, you and I working together. Yeah. I, I still am a kid at times. Uh, and uh, me working with riders, uh, uh, making mistakes with coaching. Uh, in the beginning, it wasn't smooth. Mm -hmm. I made mistakes. So all that, uh, being able to adapt in racing, uh, I took that to my coaching where you're like, hey, crap, this didn't work. What can I do? That's a lot, often a question I ask myself. What can I do to get my uh, a better explanation across or my vision across or whatever, right? Whatever that question might be. Uh, what can I do uh, to help this kid, you know? Uh, and then over time, you just you adapt, 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 and you start learn, uh, uh, learning ways to uh, be more productive and, and uh, very clear to writers like you about certain things. Yeah, I think it's really cool the way you're able to do that because I remember just being at, like, being there for the first time. That's when I first really got to know you as a person, not just being a fan watching you. And it was really cool the way you were able to explain a lot of these skills to stuff and just the variety of different things that a lot of people don't really do. I thought that was awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. It's really enjoying. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Especially you'll see uh, uh, riders that just a simple example, Kite and uh, Saya Sakakabara. Mm -hmm. You know, the first time I met him was in in Japan in two thousand five, four or five ish. Yeah, they, they were tiny. I still have a picture somewhere with I, them. I remember uh, seeing this that's photo. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. You know, uh, I met him there. Dad was an English bloke, so we helped translate. So I really got to know them over there. Uh, and then the next year I went there to Japan again, saw them again, met them again, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, awesome. But over the years, every world, they were there, they were there, they were there. So I always see that, chit-chat, how, how's everybody doing, you know. Uh, but you see the kids grow as well. Uh, now you see them. Um, 
to see them at where they're at. And Kai 77, I hope you get better soon, man. Keep fighting. Keep it up. Uh, it's such a shame, but it was so cool to see him being that competitive uh, the last few years and then Saya the same way. It's so much fun. And then Terry over here, first time I met him, he was freaking a little weasel. Yeah, I, you know? I bet you we were on stats together when I was a kid. Yeah. And then see you guys yeah. grow over the years. It's so cool. It's so cool. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah I remember you, know, first you, came to, uh, you first came to Ridge Meadows. I think that was the first time I met you, probably. Yep. That was a, that was a yeah, sick race you know, with a lot of good do, pros. You, yeah, and I've done clinics, you know, in uh, a lot of places, and you still kind of, over time, you see these people that you met a long time ago, and they're still in, and, and they're actually doing really well. Just a few riders from Florida that are doing it really good. Uh, seeing how Finland, I've been there a few times for a, a summer camp, to the first time I was there, they were just, you know, it was a really grassroots program. You know, like they're just starting up. They just had a first real big track there, to, uh, and they were barely racing international races. To and then we'll see them, uh, you know, going to all the European races, doing some doing pretty good, and, and seeing those young kids, they were like six, seven at the time, to doing pretty good now when they're you know, 13, 14. Uh, and just see the whole program grow. It's just, it's so awesome to see. Yeah. Um, we got, we got a shit ton of questions from fans online. Um, so I think we got to get to the quick shots here. Tori, are you, okay. yeah, I was going to say, Tori, can you see any of them? You're, you're still driving. I just got home, but yeah, you crack away. It's perfect timing. All right. Uh, we'll start with, uh, from Quillen one, six, four favorite, most memorable win of your career. Valet ninety nine. It's yeah, pretty simple. World championship. That that should uh, lead into this next one then from uh, Bowen four five four. How much money do you reckon you took off Warlock? He says moving to the U.S., but I was gonna, someone else asked um, in that pass. <laughs> uh well, and there's always well he did experience different, right? It was not my purpose, not my goal to take him out. Oh no. Simple as that. I watched that movie. It was right? fantastic. I can't believe you were able to uh, put a what, foot down. What was, your, what was your bonus for world championships back then? Not your uh, business. <laughs> all you people are so stupid. You're all retired. Hey, contracted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure uh, GT from 2000 is going to find you 20 years later. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. I wasn't bad. I remember that. Um, uh, I know with the move uh, with Warwick, I'll, I honestly try not to crash him. I just wanted to, you know, go on inside, drive up, ride him up, block his line, take his line away, so he shoots. Uh, so he had to slow down, and then just you know, stay in the lead. Um, and uh, he decided to well start rubbing elbows with me. Um, so from one came another, he darted off the track, and I. Somehow, still don't know how, I was able to continue. And, uh, yeah, I was able to win that first round, um, but I did not mean to take him out. Well, if I wanted to take him out, I would have t on the shit out of him. 
but you know, uh, I know he has a different view on that. So yeah, that's it. It is what it is. Yep. Um, from Lynn machine, who was your toughest pro competitors throughout your racing career? Everybody. Well, pretty much myself, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, toughest competitor. There's so many good riders. Uh, Randy was one of them. Thomas was another one. Uh, Kret Warwick, Kyle Bennett, uh, Mikey Day when he's behind you. Freaking Hayden for that. <laughs> just kidding. Love that guy. Uh, just jealous. <laughs> uh, uh, did, all the guys were, when they were on, they were on, and they were all tough to beat, you know, and that also made it fun, you know. Um, from, from LG Team Shimano. So uh, he says, how is it that you can't drop Leo on the road bike? <laughs> What? Leo asks, how is it that the 77 can't drop Leo on the road road rides? That's what he thinks. <laughs> just, you're just like, just wait till the next well, ride. So he's on this road bike ride a few weeks ago. He's in my ass the whole time. So I'm pulling the train. Then a hill comes. And then halfway up, he decides, oh, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to pull past you. You know, up till then, I did all the heavy lifting. <laughs> And he's like, oh, I'll blow you away. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> oh, classic. Um, from Seiya Sakakibara, what was your experience at the Japan International in 2006? The International, wasn't that? Uh, that was at uh, the ring uh, race in, uh, crap, I can't remember. It was a mutt race. That was interesting. Oh, was it? We, uh, yeah, all the pros that made the main, we all kind of got together. Uh, we decided to just just have a fun lap. Uh, try not to freaking kill ourselves. Uh, split the prize money uh, and just, you know, race at your own speed, so to speak. Because, dude, there was that mud, clay stuff that was, like, riding on ice, so you had no idea where the bike was going to go. Um, so I just put in a lap and me and John were kind of just duking it out a little bit uh, and uh, we had fun around the track and I ended up winning right but it wasn't really whatever uh, that was fun race but I ended up getting a nice vase for it a really nice vase that was made by a local um, uh, artist very well known Japanese artist apparently the vase was like 3000 bucks apparently uh, so I ended up winning that one and I I didn't know that. I was like, oh, man, this is an awesome trophy. <laughs> like, that's a keeper. Uh, you know? And everybody's looking at the face. and like, what the hell? I want one, too. So the next day, old bets were all were racing. <laughs> like, everybody's racing. Like, they wanted to have that vase because there was one for Saturday and there was one for Sunday. So I won the first one. <laughs> and then everybody's like, you know, screw you. <laughs> we're not. We're racing. So, yeah, it was. Uh, Japan was always fun. Always a fun trip to go to. Awesome yeah. country. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, from Sylvan Andre BMX. I hate that guy. Um, he's a huge fan, as, as he said, and he had a lot of good words to say. He says, um, it's a kind of a quick shot, but it's also a long answer, too. Um, he asks, do you wish the old school would have lasted longer, or do you wish Supercross came in a little earlier? Uh, I'll probably uh, uh, Supercross earlier would have yeah. uh, came in earlier. I, I I I like that eight meter hill. I like the speed. I, I like the hills, the turns, all that stuff. 
could have maybe maybe a little bit more variety in in the track itself, but you know at that speed and 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 the intensity, uh, it's very challenging to come up with new ideas, uh, and those things need to be trusted properly first before you implement them into a good supercross track. Um, but yeah, supercross tracks wide open. Go for it. Make a good race. Interesting. I like to, I like to hear that. So this one's from Bowen four five four. Did you run a crazy set of? He says ups. I don't I don't know if you meant bars or custom frames. Being such a tall rider. No. It seems like one of your questions, James. I'm I'm a big guy on the whole bike setup. Yeah, big, you know. So yeah. Big bike setup. Guy. Huge bike setup guy. <laughs> nope. Stock. No, I uh, when I was redline. Uh, the bikes were good, but the geometry... Oh, crap. Air conditioning comes on. I'm going back in. Uh, so, uh, I wrote stats for a few years, and I really liked that geometry. So, uh, when Redline, the geometry was way different than the stats. And I had a hard time adjusting uh, to that geometry, and I couldn't... To be honest, I, I tried it for a while, and I just it actually got worse instead of better. So uh, right line ended up making me custom bikes uh, with the stats geometry, but it, it somehow it never felt felt home, so to speak. It mm-hmm. never felt exam. So yeah, I had a custom bike, but uh, uh, the setup wasn't. It was just the stats geometry because I was so used to that. Yeah, okay. um, that's it. But it was nothing crazy like David Graff style. Yeah. Set up. Did you ever change your bike setup for Supercross or anything like that? Like once no. the Supercross era came in, no, it's just same, same. Well, I the only thing I changed, I went from a forty-four sixteen to a forty-seven seventeen. Yeah, okay, so the same, same. It's a bigger combo, hey. Yeah, so didn't change much. Yeah. Um, let's do this one from Joe Blatchford. Which do you like to oh to which do you like to train more, new riders or elite riders? Good question. That came from Joe. Mm-hmm. What the hell, dude? I did not expect that uh, original uh, question from him. I was expecting <laughs> a, a stupid-ass question a, from him. good question. Well, well he does have that's three a, questions yeah. here, but I, I picked this one because I thought it was a good one. Um, you only got one. You only got one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fuck you, well, Silver, You only got one. <laughs> I hate that guy. <laughs> um, this, is, this is difficult. Uh I like to coach riders that are open for change or, or new things. Either. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you must really dislike coaching Jake. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, uh, no, 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 no. Sorry. I, I, no, 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 that's not what I, <laughs> I no, um, I like the challenge. Like every person is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, what I noticed, you know, every personality is different. And everybody needs to be challenged different. Um, so now I'm getting back to, you know, the BMX days, so to speak. You know, I like the challenge of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, BMX was always different. Every lap was different. That's why I enjoyed it. Uh, it's not like running down, a, doing a 100-meter dash. and you, It's pretty much the, the same thing. Um, so working with different riders is challenging, agonizing at times, but also very satisfying when you get to uh, 
well, get them to do what their goals are or then teach them a new skill set. Or uh, even with the pros, they get the result that they were looking for. Yeah. So it's, it's a hard uh, – I can't really – I like it all. Like, I just like the challenge. Yeah, fair enough. Like, James is a big challenge. Yeah, I'm just a handful in general, though. I think we know that. <laughs> like, he's like the great wall of racers. I don't think you showed enough excitement yesterday when I told you how good of a day I had. I think you gave me some random emoji, and that was it. And I was like, cool. Like, I, I won't share this fantastic training day I had. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a day. I mean, it's a day. You want a fucking medal or what? Well, I don't want a you medal, but job. like, you know, I, we had you some... did your job. We, they're, they're... I'll, give, <laughs> I'll get you a trophy. You, you, I'll get you a trophy. Do you think it, does a, a regular worker going to work, doing their job, get a trophy? No, you do your job. I, That's I, your job. I, I, did, I did better than my job expected, I think, that day. <laughs> okay. Well, then you maybe should get a couple clapping emojis. Maybe, maybe like maybe like two clapping emojis or like a thumbs up. Maybe a thumbs up would have been nice. Thumbs up and a smiley would be good. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Classic. All right, we'll move on. Next one. Um, there's a story. Hey, Terry, he didn't expect that crap. No, I didn't expect he that. Crap. I didn't expect that crap one bit. <laughs> he opened a freaking can of worms. <laughs> Um, there's a story behind this one, clearly. Um, but this is from Jason Carnes. He says, "Did Allie hug and congratulate you at the finish line after day one of the Cali Vans Triple Crown race?" I don't know. I can't remember. What, what happened there? <laughs> uh, what happened there is uh, that was the second round of Vans Triple Crown. Um, he had the whole shot. I was right behind him. Uh, there was a hip jump, and. Uh, he jumped a little bit wide, and I anticipated, like, well, going up the lip, I kind of saw him going, so you anticipate that angle, right? So I noticed that he was going to go, go wide in the next turn. So I squared it up a little bit, uh, so I was able to jump that uh, uh, hip jump a little bit tighter. Uh, so I end up next to him going in the next turn, which was a 90-degree turn. Uh but just kind of in front of him on the inside. So I kind of just ran him up uh, and I take his line away and he ended up going off the track and I was able to continue um, and ended up winning that race. But I cannot remember if I hugged him or not. Probably not. <laughs> I'm assuming not. Then. No, 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 no. Thomas, he's, he's a great guy, a nice guy, but he's also super competitive. So he was probably pissed off. And he was probably somewhere in the woods tearing down some trees. Yeah, fair enough. Sounds like a competitive athlete. Sounds pretty normal. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, this isn't really a quick shot question at all, but just just something a cool tidbit from Thomas Haluza. He was just remembering your performance at the Worlds in 2005 in Bercy. And apparently, there was the random gate pick, and somehow you got lane eight from like the eighth finals onwards, and still managed to get on the podium. What was that race like? That was a cool stadium event kind of race, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, dude. That was freaking a week. First of all, I had lower back problems. Um, I, um, I had it kind of fixed, but the first moto, it kind of popped back in my lower back. So I was, riding was okay, but me sitting down or trying to stand, it was not, not good. Uh, but riding the bike was still okay. Uh, so that was good. Um, 
on top of that, that gate was all messed up. That dropped really and right, like stupid. Like uh, uh-huh. we, what what were we doing? We we're counting. Right, already watched the gate. One, two, three, go. Yeah. Something like that. I heard this story of man uh, a car counting and then going or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, yeah. we we because uh, it was so weird. Um, so we had to adapt again. Um, third moto, I had won the first two motos. I was hauling ass. I was going feeling good. I was I was going fast. I had good gates and whatnot. Uh, then third moto, freaking, I flipped the gate. Uh, just freaking full on over the gate, handlebars into push up position. Um, messed up. Uh, um, uh, what's his name? Cools, Ken Cools. Sorry for that. So uh, I messed him up completely, and he blamed me for that. But uh, I'm sorry. Um, so, I, but I, I won the first two rounds, so it was good. Um, and then uh, I think, except for the quarters, I had eight lane eight every time. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So in the semi, I survived lane eight. I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna have lane eight again. Sweet. Yeah. Look at the, uh, the. I'm like, fuck. I'm in lane eight. What the fuck? <laughs> this ain't right. Like, can we do a redo or something? So, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, so in the main, Jamie Gray popped one out, and dude, he was out, and he ended up crashing going in the turn. Uh, pushed everybody up, left the door open for Bubba, so he could sneak on the inside with uh, with um, with Mikey right behind him. So I'm li- I'm like like lane eight, so I got pushed up all the way. So I'm on the outside. Uh, railing, uh, so I was charging down that second straight, and I was just committed to stick that move on Donnie. Sorry, Donnie, for pushing over the turn. <laughs> um, so I had my foot unclipped, I had it over the hay bale in the second turn, uh, to just be able to make that turn. Uh, and then, well, I ended up putting Danny over the uh, Donnie over the turn, and then Suarez, he was in front of me, Jonathan Suarez, he. I don't know what he decided to do in that third straight, but he long darted off the track. And I was still not clipped in. So I was just pedaling in the, of the, the middle of my foot on the clip. Classic. <laughs> uh, I just kept motoring, right? Uh, at that point, I was just like, I got to make every pedal count. And uh, I ended up third. Yeah, so that was With a cool Carlos Allier charging behind me, by the way. I remember that race. Like just watching the video. It was insane. That was a really cool one to watch. Yeah, that was uh that was an interesting uh uh day in yeah. many aspects. Yeah, fair. Um we'll just give you one more. We've been on for a while. I'll get one more here from Colin Styles. Do you ever think about moving back to Holland or do you like living in Southern California? You miss the freaking Dells. <laughs> All the stroop waffles. Never say never, but no. I mean there's there's too much great there's a lot of great stuff there. There's in and out, you know, beaches. Mountain bike trails. <laughs> Fair enough. Nice weather. Yeah, so a lot of good stuff, though. No, uh, never uh, is a big word, but as of now, never. Yeah, fair. Well, Ragin, um, I'll say that's all the quick shots we got for you. It's that's been, it? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of stuff that we covered in the conversation. Um, uh-huh. So, honestly, it was just it was kind of awesome just to hear your story because I know you've coached me now for a handful of years and become friends over that time and before that. But I never really knew all of the backstory to your career, and it's been really, really interesting to hear all that stuff. Oh, I got yeah. a lot more to tell, man. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch up on that later. 
Tori, if you can hear us, you're barely cutting out. It sounded like you were trying to talk, but we it was cutting out. Dude, so. go find a Timmy's, man. <laughs> you need some Wi-Fi. Can you hear me now? Uh, yeah, you're a little quiet. I got to turn you up some more, but yeah, try again. Can you hear me now? Yep. <laughs> All right, Bob, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on, man. It was great to hear your story and chat to you as always. Really enjoyed it. Well, thank you for having, uh, having me, guys, and uh, always uh, fun to listen to you guys' podcast. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, Ray. I'm excited to see you again. Yeah, well, come on down. Oh, no. oh, wait a second. Then they won't let me back in, so I'm just staying right here. <laughs> hey. Oh, and I can't go up to you guys, so uh, you guys have to come down because uh, I don't think that they will let me back in. Probably not. No. You need to take Tori on a mountain bike ride, the one you took me on where I was just no. dying. Fuck that. Dude, that was an easy ride. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it was not easy whatsoever. Yeah, I don't work hard on the bike. <laughs> Dude, Leo even warned you. I gave you the option, road bike ride or mountain bike ride. And you're like, I don't want a mountain bike ride. <laughs> it sounds better. If you think about it, it sounds fantastic. But I, I had to try it to know that it was as bad as it was. Dude, I was dying all the way up. Dude, I was laughing so hard. And every time you saw me laughing, the uh, the more pissed off you got. <laughs> yeah, I hated which made it. it so much, which made it so much more fun. <laughs> I told. That sounds yeah, sounds right. I told Tori about one of the road bike rides that you had to basically push me home because, frick, I just. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's that's just normal business. Yeah, and then he kind of gets in the garage and he cramps up. Yeah, it's hot as shit there. I'm sweating buckets going on a two-hour right, ride. It's on. exhausting. Dude, I'm going on the same mountain bike ride later on today on Annika's birthday uh, ride. Well, I like I, I don't want it to be a bad ride for you, but I really do. I hope you get really tired. <laughs> <laughs> I got this, dude. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're you're in shape. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks, Reggie. Appreciate your time, buddy. All right, bye, bye. Later. God, what a fucking legend. Afro Bob, everybody. What, honestly, what a legend. That was a long convo, but that was so worth it. Yeah, that was cool. It was cool. Good to hear about his transition to the U.S. and stuff. People, not many people do that anymore. So it's a big step. No, that's probably, you can probably pick like less than a handful of people that do it now. You got Joris that have done it, and it's like it doesn't happen that often. No. So. Thanks, thanks, thanks to Bob for coming on. It was really cool to hear his story. Yeah, it was great to hear his story. Um, I had to I had to work with your with the delay that you normally have to work with with me. It's it's tough, T. It's tough. I know it's it's a tough game on the other yeah. side, isn't it? And right now you're like really quiet, so I have your thing absolutely max, and you're barely loud enough, so you might be quiet right now. But yeah, I know I'm about to shower. I finally got back, and I'm so hot and sweaty. Yeah, that's fair. So uh, well, we'll we'll let you go then. Let's give a shout out. Shout out to the sponsors, ProGate Europe. Winning starts with a great gate. Ragin had some great gates. Thanks to Bob. Honestly, like, I really enjoyed hearing his story. Honestly, like, that made the drive go by so fast. And such a cool dude to hear from. What a like I said, I'm really glad that I was able to be at his last races. Yeah, that part that part's awesome, hey. So. Yeah, it's pretty special to have been able to race him. You know, like mm -hmm. when I first came to Philly, I raced in the first couple of years. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So thanks to him. Thanks to Progress Europe. Thanks to Motorsheets.com. Get your timing scoring systems made easy. Thanks to everyone listening. Hope the sound was okay so I don't sound like an idiot when I was roasting Tori at the beginning of the show. And, uh, and uh, yeah. All right. See you next week. Later, guys. We're going
podcast all about i don't get it man coffee chatter get off my back guys. <laughs> you have to be fast in the track i hate that guy <laughs>